This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we say goodbye to another legend. Pale Boy Summer continues as we talk about George Romero's 1977 film, Martin, and discuss what is worse, being bled to death or Pittsburgh. And I ask Paul and Terry, what can I bring? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul, and I just really wish I had the sounds of some like spurs hitting the ground, because someone's back in town, and that is Steve. Hey everybody, I'm back from Texas and uh, I still have my Ohio accent, so take from that what you will. <laughs> like there wasn't like like um like take an accent, leave an accent, like when you got to like the border at the airport, you're like it's like I guess I gotta leave this here and it's like, hey y'all, what's going on? Like, <laughs> yes, but as you know, uh every time I do a southern accent, it sounds like I'm dumbing somebody down. So well, I didn't want to insult anybody uh, while I was there, like, but, hey y'all. Yeah, no, no, like I think I, I said to you over the weekend, my theory is that you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you say some of the southern accent, no one's gonna listen to a word that you say. <laughs> so I it's just I'm sorry. That's the rules. Like that's what's happening. Anyway, so you're back from Texas. The baton toss has been brought back. Thanks again to uh, to Richard for being on for the last two shows. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, Steve, do not take any lessons from him about me. Don't listen that's- to a word that son of a bitch has to say. I'm sorry. What was that quiet down? Yeah. Oh, no. All right. And now, uh, anyway, so um, we're joined tonight with a guest uh, uh, because it would, you know, it wouldn't be pale boy summer without another person being brought in. So I got my co-host from strange highways. Terry's here in the office with me. Sorry. The recording studio. Greetings universe. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I am another pale boy too. So I, I guess yeah, it, we had a bunch of pale boys this weekend and tall boys and tall pale boys. So t- yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Tall boys. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me on guys. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've been uh, preparing for this uh, and uh, I think it's going to be an awesome one. You called your shot. Like we, we were talking about watching George Romero's Martin and you're like, I want to be on. I'm like, all right then, you know, like the, the more the merrier, let's just get into this. So, but Steve, uh, you've been away for a while. So any any life's lessons that you can part on us? I know you and I Life were lessons. stuck in a car for like five hours over the weekend, but I don't know if you had any <laughs> wisdom to impart upon the listeners with your uh, way, way times. Yeah, no, I don't know that I have much. Uh, uh, probably the two things that I would say is, is uh, uh, if you decide to go to a restaurant with uh, a family member, uh, and you order a really expensive <laughs> dinner that you're intending to pay for, uh, you should pay attention when the check comes. Uh, and thanks again to my brother. If he's listening, thank you for the uh, $45 ribeye. It was delicious. Um, the great steak the, heist. Is that what we're going to call your Dallas trip from <laughs> now on? <laughs> the other thing that I learned is, is uh, Shinerbach is amazing, which is apparently a Texas beer. Uh, my brother 
had them bring one to me while I was at the restaurant. And then I proceeded to have four of them because I was not driving and they were delicious. Yeah. And, and good news. Shiner box available here in Cleveland. Yeah, so you, Shiner, can, you, you know. can get Shiner uh, at a lot of different yeah, locations. Shiner, yeah. Shiner's the actual brewery and they do different things, but Shiner box is available. Uh, but yeah, so welcome, welcome to the world of other beers, Steve. Congratulations. Well, that's the thing. I'm, I'm pretty much a, a light beer guy, so I don't venture out because usually yeah. what happens is if somebody tells me this is amazing. You got to try this beer. And then like I open a can and then I take a sip and I'm like, oh, this is awful. Yeah, this I'm tastes sorry. like this tastes like dandelion or an ashtray. There's no in between, right. you know, and I don't like real <laughs> bitter beers. Like, for instance, you know, anything uh, that's thick in like a, like a Guinnessy type Mm-mm. beer is not my cup of tea. No. And uh, yeah, I've had many a beer handed to me where it's like, you got to try this. It's really good. And then I'm like, no, it's not. So, <laughs> I will show you the way my friend. Yeah. I will show you. No, like I was making the joke about an IPA, which Terry's drinking right now, because yes. all of them taste like cut grass to me. Well, like don't. You just haven't found the right beer. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think it's one of those things where I've tried plenty of beers, and no, um, I think it's also kind of like how some people like cilantro, and other people think it tastes like like uh, cleaning cleaning fluid. Like there's that mm. weird thing where I think there's palates for IPAs, and then there's the rest of us that are right. I think that's where <laughs> we're at with that. Um, but we did try. So let's talk about our weekend because I mean we always say what did you do over the weekend. Well, we were all together for the weekend. Um, but we did try because we went to we went to Monroeville. We went to Pittsburgh uh, for Living Dead Weekend, which was a convention. We'll talk about more in a second. But we did try some Iron City beer, which shouldn't be held up in high regard because it's just a you know your your basic bitch beer that's like every market has one of these. Yeah, it's like the Genesee. Or, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it is what it is. It's the Milwaukee's best of uh, Don't, Pittsburgh. you don't you say that about yeah, it. It's a, yeah, Beast is terrible. This, this beer was quite, 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 better. quite average. Yes. Quite, well, yeah, quite average, but <laughs> quite a bit better than the Beast. So, Steve, what did you think of the Iron City? I thought it was okay. Uh, I, I'm curious because uh, our friend Rob tried the Iron City Light when we were at the restaurant. I, I tried that I'm as well. I had, I had that on draft. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. And I should have. I don't know why I didn't while we were there. It was perfectly okay. Like, it was a light beer. I don't know. Like, it's just, you know, it is it's it is what it is. Like, it's not anything crazy. Um, and both were fine, you know. But like, I liked the Iron City, and I felt like I, it was something that I needed to do while I was there. Yeah, like to rite of passage. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I was like, right? I'm going to get me a six pack of Iron City and bring it back to the hotel. And I'm going uh, to get a 30 pack of Iron City and bring it back to the hotel. <laughs> it's, uh, it's still it's still is from out there, too, isn't it? I don't know where this because I, I, I was thinking about because uh, when since uh, since Richard was on the show with me last two weeks and then we, you know, we met up in Pittsburgh. Like we he and I've known each other for years, but it was nice to see him in person again. It was wonderful to, to let him meet my friends and then immediately cut me out and just talk to them and not me. I'm kidding. That didn't happen. <laughs> Um, uh, but no, it's like, I was thought about doing like, um, like a beer trade off where it's like, thank you for the iron city. Here's a steel reserve. But I'm like, if that's where it comes from, it'd be like, Hey, here's your same beer. Thanks. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just try to think of like a Cleveland local like thing that Great was Lakes. like, yeah, they have it down there too. Like I found, mm-hmm. you know, so not certain well, ones. You, you <laughs> mentioned Richard, uh, you know, talking to you and, and, you know, maybe, hanging out with his new friends more than you, but uh, maybe this is a bad time for me to announce that Richard and I will now be hosting uh, Invasion of the Podcast. This is Paul's last episode, everybody. So. Okay, great. I'm oh, actually God. cool with that. Thank you. I need a break. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. I got, no, I do do, wanna, I'll give you, I'll give you the say. iPad that I run my sound off of, and um, I'll, I'll rent you my room when you record for $5 a week. That's fine. <laughs> 
Good luck. You guys will do great. I... <laughs> the catch is no one's going to be running the board. Just thank Richard. I'll even run the board. It's fine. I'll be playing video games in the background. That's cool. <laughs> Richard did an awesome job coming on and covering for me. I would have liked to have heard the word uh, or the phrase long story short more. Um, and also, <laughs> if he could have said things like, um, yeah, I, those are things that I pepper in here for the audience. So, you know, work on that, Richard. Work on that. Well, I mean, but uh, you know what? I guess just while we're recording, you got one of these erotic clown. You said that plenty over the two weeks. <laughs> he actually was calling think- in to do it each time, too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Steve. I know you had a busy uh, couple weeks there. Can, but, you just, yeah. can you just tell me, please, the first time that I dropped that on you when you were listening to those episodes? How did you feel about life in general? Whenever you're like, I'm listening to a podcast that I have no control over and I'm hearing myself say the words erotic clown. How do you feel about that? I mean, I've said worse. It's just not been recorded. <laughs> no, so. the, best, the most recent truth was that you said that uh, uh, Kevin James wouldn't have a career unless Chris Farley died. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Oh, but but t- where's the lie? I, I, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it's not wrong, but yeah. Uh, so so yeah, the Iron City was that was you know it was it was a fun domestic beer to get into, and then um, but yeah, we did Living Dead, Living Dead Weekend at Monroeville Mall, which was the location for uh, Dawn of the Dead, the Romero film, and so this whole thing was like all things um like uh, Night of Living Dead, uh, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Return of the Living Dead, Dead 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 Dead. Um, I had never been there before. Terry, you've been there previously. This I think Steve, this is your first time as well, correct? Uh, no, I went in 2018. Oh, that's right. You so. told me that, that you, while we're driving out there, you told me that. And I f- forgot that. I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, so I knew going in that the show is a little bit more, uh, specialized, which is good and bad. If you're really into those movies, which we are, it's, it's good to, to have all those people in one spot that you can meet and talk to. Uh, but it is a little confined, um, and I was actually surprised that they didn't bring some of it out into the mall. And I understand that they're worried about controlling traffic for people who aren't part of the convention. But uh, I was kind of surprised that the uh, stars and the vendors, at least, were all in the same rooms, which they were in 2018. But it wasn't like a, that was pre-COVID. So I thought that they might space things out a little bit more. But uh, I did have some anxiety at first when we walked in. and I was like, oh, we're amongst people again, and mm-hmm. uh, I've I've had you know my immunizations, so I don't know why I'm so worried about this. But it took me a good solid couple of hours to get used to the idea of being around people again in that like large area of of uh, the mall. So, or in large quantities of people, I should say. That's fair. I mean, so I'll, I'll back that up a statement, like one moment saying that the day before, my wife and I went to the Cleveland Zoo for the first time in like forever. And that you want to talk about like being around people like that, that exhausted me, but it kind of broke my brain. So the mall didn't seem that bad. Like, like I'll say this, Mm -hmm. the amount of strollers were down by like 90%. Like, so that was helpful. Um, and, but anyway, so we did this, I just with, so to describe to people like, like this mall, which is a functioning mall, which that is an oddity these days, but you go in, the panels were like outside by like out, not outside, but like on the concourse of the mall where uh, malls, one thing malls are not known for acoustics. I don't know if you guys know this or not. Um, they're not really venues to like hear things well because of the way they're shaped. Also they're malls. 
that's where the panels were. We're like kind of like in the middle of this one area by the escalators. But then the, there's four storefronts that were being used for the different areas that like where you could do the signings and buy things and whatever. Um, I like, I understand like it was like, I had like everybody, everybody I ran into like bumped into, apologized to tripped over. Everybody was super polite and nice. So it was good. Like there, I didn't run into one like jerk or whatever. So that's good. It's just that, what I think of like what my idea of what this was going to be, I thought it would be a little bit more encompassing. Uh, but like Terry, you could speak to this because you were there for the whole weekend and you actually did more things than we did. It just felt like, oh, let's go into this one storefront. Let's go into this other storefront. It is that I've been to other cons that felt really like an odd placement of things. So, but if you could speak to what your experience was for the weekend. It's a little strange, but I, I mean, it's not a convention center either. And so they want to give people like that extra bit of incentive to be there. Like this is the mall where Dawn of the Dead was filmed. So I can see there being some logistic nightmares um, for them to try to hold things. And then like doing a real Q and a where a, a lot of people could sit, but those are the kind of experiences you didn't necessarily have to pay for. So it's like it was kind of weird because you're paying admission to get into a room so you can buy more stuff. I, I don't know. Like I, I can't really gripe on it too much. I had a great time. Um, I did a tour of the mall. Um, Dawn of the Dead is my favorite film of all time. So it's really, it, it's really important for me to just be in that place and just experience that. And uh, I mean, I got a lot out of it, but I can see why you wouldn't have as great well, events I, and experience. I just want to point out that you're wearing a Dawn of the Dead shirt right now as you say that. I'm wearing a UHF shirt. So I guess there's a difference of like difference of uh, interest here. I don't know. I'm kidding. But no, like, no, it was cool. Like I had watched the movie before going, I'd watched it again before going to the mall. So that was cool. Um, and it's, it's an important foundational part of being a horror fan. And I think that's also why, like when I talked to Steve about like, we're going to talk about Martin tonight. I thought that was all very, like, it all kind of rolled in together. And then right. with, with the recent release of the Romero, quote-unquote, lost film, The Amusement Park on Shutter, it's like, this feels like this is the time to kind of talk about this. Um, I'm just saying, like, the the, the tour looks sounded cool. And I saw all the photos that you guys uh, put up. That's neat. Um, I, and I, I think I'm going to land more with Steve where it's like, this mall is functioning and it is kind of thriving, which is kind of an oddity. But... There was a lot of open space that maybe for as much as this mall has like like um, plaques and artwork up about its importance in terms of what it is, I wish they would have leaned more into it and made it more encompassing. That's that that that's my nitpick. That's like it was still a great time, but I would also like for you, like if you would have by yourself without any of us there, you would have probably had a wonderful time, uh, Terry. I'm just saying if like Steve and I went by ourselves, we would have been like, oh. And that would have been it. And I think I think that's I think conventions need to try to find a way to appeal to the the spectrum of all of us. Yeah, that's I, all. I, I get it. I, I mean, there wasn't well, as much of sorry. interactive stuff. Sorry. But what were you going to say, Steve? Uh, no, I just you know I knew going in like that it was going to be more specified, and I actually kind of like that idea. I like the idea that like, walking into a show convention. And to those of you who collect Funko, Funko Pops, please don't take this as me being disrespectful or Ooh, uh, shitting a, on Funko. But like every convention you go to now, it's like, hey, we got 8,000 Funko Pops and that's it. Like It feels like pop culture conventions feel, I don't want to say way too open, but like a lot of them have the same thing. There aren't 
Um, cookie cutter, I think. You're, yeah, they're yeah they're a little cookie cutter because it's like, hey, do you like The Office? We got The Office. You like Superman? We got Superman, and that's fine too. Like I, I'm not, I I, I don't want to you know shit on something like a Wizard World where I'm like, wow, you know, I've seen the the sixth table that's got the exact same things that the guy behind him has. So I, I like the variety. I I knew going in though because I did consider as it a vendor. Like I was like, maybe this is a show that I should try and push my comic at. And I think that I would have done really badly. Um, and I'm not saying that because I'm like, oh, feel bad for me. I'm just saying that, like, everything's <laughs> very specified in the sense that, like, the people who are there are there for Romero's films. And in this case, Return of the Living Dead because it was a cast reunion. But And Day of the Dead. And Day of the Dead. My apologies. I left that one out. But um, I think the people who are there are there for that very specific thing. Uh, I would like to have seen just some more vendors maybe out in that area that's wide open. And I know that, you know, they want to contain the shows to those rooms. And it's like, eh, if those vendors make some money off of somebody walking by, what's, you know, and, what's and also if they're paying for table space, then the convention's making their money. And I think it's a win-win like Terry and yeah. I, we like, he, he came over to, to my studio <clears throat> house last night. When we we're recording um, the show that we do strange highways. You and I had like an hour long discussion about like, like what could have made this more interesting? And I don't think I don't think it would have taken that much to kind of push it over. You yeah, know, like, just little tweaks. And I, I mean, this is kind of like a growing pains kind of thing for them too. Fair enough. I know they've had the convention there in the past, but the mall hasn't been as accepting of that community in the past either. So I think it's like this weird. They're working as best as they can to, uh, you know, make the mall happy, but then also make the fans happy by having the convention there. And even yeah. our uh, friend of show, Samayao, uh, who is also at the convention with us, said that uh, he thinks that it's not going to last as long there and that it's going to go back to convention center that is over by the property there. Because they used to have it at the, the convention center that's nearby. That's, that's where Steel City Con happens. Yeah, I've been to that space. Right. It's actually... It's a little bit more approachable in terms of like layout and stuff. I will, I'll say that. Which yeah, it, yeah. it makes sense if you were to have something like that um, in a convention center. Um, we have a local uh, convention that we go to here that is held at a hotel, and then you, know, you go downstairs, you go to the the room and dealer room and see your your celebrities and all that stuff, and then you can go up to your room. It being in a mall, it's a little it's a little different. You know, it's a different experience. I think it's with it being that kind of um, setting. We're so thrown off by it. I, I just, I don't know. Like I, I mentioned this last night when you and I were talking, like, and I'll, I'll throw this to you, Steve. Like, and I think you and I talked about this on uh, the drive back. It's like, you have these different storefronts. Like, why couldn't you have done the Q and A's there? One of them. Right. And then maybe even had like a screening or something running to go, like, get people. Like maybe there's like, I, I saw one of the, one of the wonderful things I saw over the weekend, um, aside from a Sarkuwa Japan, which was wonderful because I've not had mall food in forever. So that was great. Uh, sorry, Steve. I know you picked, you picked poorly with, um, Sabaro that <laughs> you day. Chose um, you, you, you chose unwisely. Um, but, um, was like, I saw a couple like, uh, parents with kids mm. like that definitely had their badges or like armbands. It's like, this is generational. Yeah. This is how this lives. This is how this goes forward. And that was great to see that. It's a little bit um, more approachable at that at that juncture, too. Because, yeah. I mean, you're not locked into, like, this big, sweaty dealer room. Because I've been to cons. There are, like, a closet. And it is difficult. Yeah, I, haven't had, I haven't had mall sweat in a while. That yeah. was... Uh, 
that was welcome and terrifying at the same time. I'm like, oh gosh, like I just want to scrape this off me. Why am I sweating? Like, yeah, and and the the former Gadzooks that you pointed yeah. out to me. <laughs> I, I love that. That was great. Um, you know, it, I think that's probably one of the the biggest pluses about uh, having it in the mall uh, for this con was. If you were feeling overwhelmed, you go right out to the the hallway and you're That's fair. You're, yeah. you're away from people. Like you can because I mean, it's a mall, but it wasn't really that busy. You know, it's not like Christmas time busy, you yeah. know. If it was during Christmas time, then I think or, I wouldn't Or, or during a biker it. attack busy, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. You have an update. Um, yeah, so I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have most of my alerts turned off on my computer, but there's the, the, the alert is Steve wanted to say something. What is it, Steve? What, what is it? No, I heard the alert and I immediately just thought, did it stop recording? Uh, <laughs> this just did. No one cares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, lost the episode. Oh, well, no. no uh, I, there were a couple things that I, I thought like, oh, you know, the, they, there's a Cinemark in that mall. Um, and... What was it two years ago? Maybe it was three years ago. Um, there was a week of screenings of Dawn of the Dead uh, in association with the George A. Romero Foundation that was played at the Capitol. And I, I couldn't help but think, like, I know that theaters aren't thriving right now. You have people coming to these malls. Like, would it have that, been that hard to secure the rights to show, like night day dawn even return of the living dead and hold screenings I mean, and even, offer tickets to yeah as i say night of the living dead shouldn't be that hard to get a hold of to well, show yeah. right? like something right like just you know yeah and I, I i i completely agree with you on that steve i i think that it was a a lost opportunity there that they could have had something some kind of uh joint effort there they apparently had shown um dawn of the dead in 3d in the past which you and i actually checked out at a local theater here which was an amazing experience and i, I, just, I mean especially night of the living dead it's i mean it's public domain you yeah. can you could have yeah. put that right on that screen everybody would have ate it up yeah oh absolutely good zombie I, pun yes i have one <laughs> other note um because I, I I did genuinely love the weekend it was it was an amazing time i i got to meet uh Four cast members from Return of the Living Dead and get them to sign my poster uh, that I had not met before. And like I, I was out $160 within like a half hour. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> I, I got to slow down. I beat you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I but, feel like uh, when I go to Vegas. I'm like, what did I just do? Like, yeah, yeah. But here, here's a note for a vendor. As somebody who does shows himself, uh, I will price the hell out of everything to make sure that nobody ever feels uncomfortable asking me how some how much something costs right yes yeah. talk does, about this this is weird yeah please it does create like a social anxiety thing at least for me where like i pick something up and i don't want to create false hope in the person that i'm gonna buy something by just picking it up so if it's not priced i won't even bother to ask so like vendors please price your stuff so that i can see it because if i have interest in it I'm going to ask. Yeah, one of know. one of the toy vendors they had like a lot of the different just different things. None and of it was priced, right. and it was like We're, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to know. I don't need to know. I don't need to know what this Overwatch Tracer figure is priced at. I think I'm good. I'm good. So I know exactly what you guys are talking about. <laughs> There's one specific vendor that was there. It had a huge booth. Yeah. Very like very big. Lots of different stuff. Easy See, easy to dig through and kind yeah. of find stuff. Yeah, oh, nothing priced though. Yeah, and I was like. Oh, well, of course, I have to en- uh, I have to engage with this guy and ask him about the prices because I'm not going to just blindly give him my credit card. 
But I, I, if honestly, God, I, and I know this is your guys' show. If I knew who that vendor was and what the name of his company would be, I would call him out right now and be like, <laughs> sir, please just put the prices on there. I know it's only like a, a little bit more effort, but you know, it, it's going to make your fans that much more easy it's, to I just deal feel with. Like they, they, like they were open to the haggle, which is fine. Right. But like, because like the whole thing with negotiation, right, is that you want to, they give you a number, you come back and you meet in the middle or whatever, right? Right. But if you don't even know where the top end is, they're expecting you to over overpay for something. And here's here's the perfect reason that they would do that. They see my Dawn of the Dead shirt. They know exactly why I'm there. I pick up a Dawn of the Dead yeah. or even a horror figure, whatever, and they say, I'm going to put it a I'm two bucks extra. It. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Right. And, and, and I know, I know what he's doing and it, I don't like it. You know, it's, it's, it's insulting to me. And I, I know the guy probably knows his product really well, but do you know how many different things he had on that? that like his little oh, it display. Was, it was all over the place in terms yeah. of the pop culture spectrum. You don't that's know fine. how much all of this stuff costs, uh, dude. To be fair. So Steve, I don't like, there was another vendor. I don't know if you saw that had also toys as well. Uh, with Terry and I doing our Twilight Zone podcast, we walked in and, and Terry's like, oh, look, there's a talkie Tina doll. It's $300. I'm like, I'm good. Like, I didn't even enter that conversation. I'm like, I don't. I was like, if there's a photo of Telly Savalas dying at the hands of this doll, that might be interesting to me, but it's not $300 interesting. I like, <laughs> you know, like it's just fine. Let me know. Let me know my comfort level. Yeah. You know, that's all. I think I think you're absolutely right there. Yeah, it's yeah a- and I do wonder how much of those high ticket items sell at conventions. I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I'm very, you know, cheap is the word my wife would use, but uh, mm-hmm. I will often try to, you know, conserve money or like spend equally as I'm going through the weekend. I don't want to, I don't want to walk in like Vegas and be like, yeah, I'm out in a half hour um, because I wasted all my money. Like, I will try and find deals throughout the weekend, and I won't. I'll shop, you know, because I'm there for, you know, two to three days. Uh, you know, I'm going to comparison shop and try and find things that I really want. And, you know, maybe something that you have, I really do. But I I do wonder if, you know, because sometimes I do I'm like, well, I'm selling a $4 comic and I'm not moving these things. Maybe if I, you know, price them at $10, they go better. I don't know. <laughs> like, but, you, you know, like a, a Zoo kite tycoon too much. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You just know, make it more expensive and tell people there's one left, you know, like whatever. Um, so, so, okay. So with that being said, I'm going to put it to the, you guys for, for living dead weekend. I'm going to ask you uh, a question about your favorite con memory, like for the weekend and your favorite, just overall memory from the weekend. Cause I think that's very telling because we all had a great time, but I don't know where, like, is it because like, whatever, anyway, so I'm going to put it on you, Steve, uh, con con memory and then like other memory. So con memory of this weekend or con memory overall? Well, I mean, this weekend, living dead weekend or like, okay. I don't know. Okay. Like, if you want to like mention well, other that, times, like I met, I met Kevin Connery the one time. That was pretty great. He wasn't at this convention. Anyway, sorry, continue. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, I mean, Mark Hamill, I'm, I'm never going to be able to top that. So, um, neither can we top you meeting Mark Hamill. We get it. <laughs> you jerk. I just wanted to mention Rub know, it in. I know you've met Bespin uh, Luke. Okay. I get it. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so of the weekend, I, I gotta say, uh, just telling, you know, the different cast members of the return of the living dead that I met, uh, how much, how important it was that that movie kind of came along. Like I was the perfect age for that movie. Like it was, you know, everything from, uh, punk rock to zombies to, um, a lot of nudity, uh, which, you know, at the time, like movies, 
I, I, I would have been 13 when that movie probably was playing on HBO. So I was prime time for that where it's like, oh, my God, this thing has everything that I love. But as I've gotten older, I appreciate it because I think it's just a darkly a, a dark, witty film. Like, I think that that movie is so hilarious now, yeah. not because I'm like, oh, it's bad or it's ironic or anything like that. But like Dan O'Bannon wrote a hell of a script for that movie. And there's some genuine belly laughs in that movie that I still laugh at every time I watch it. But there's also horrifying things that happen within it. Um, and nudity. And nudity. So <laughs> uh, erotic clown. So, uh, I I think just, you know, uh, talking to Tom Matthews and just being like, Hey, you know, uh, I, I know there's nothing that I'm going to say to you right now that you haven't heard a million times before, but I just want to let you know, like, this was like the perfect movie for the age I was. And I, I realize it's an R rated movie. So technically I should have been 17 if we're going by guidelines, but like discovering that movie on HBO was awesome. Like it was just a great memory. So that's, Getting to, to to share that with everybody and the gentleman who played uh, Spider Miguel Nunez, uh, he was talking. He even mentioned it during the panel, but like uh, he was talking about when I uh, when I was talking to him, he's like, "Yeah, I still, if I catch it, I'll leave it on." He's like, "I don't watch much of the other things that I've been in." He's like, "But if Return of the Living Dead's on, I'll 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 watch it." So I think that's that's usually like one of the biggest. Uh, um, compliments I think a celebrity can give a film most of the time is where they're like, I can't stand watching to, to watch myself, but this movie I'll leave on because it's that good. Okay. So then your Did favorite, you? no, no, not at all. Oh. Um, and your favorite memory just from the weekend, like in general. Wow. The favorite memory. Oh, whatever. Um, like, I mean, throw a dart. It's, it's not, yeah. Like whatever you want to do. It's not one specific memory, but it's just, just sitting around post COVID for the first time in a hotel room with a bunch of people hanging out and just shooting the shit and laughing our asses off was amazing. And, you know, I don't even remember half the stuff we talked about, but I know at one point, like Terry and I had a discussion about music. I know at one point Rob jumped in with some, some stuff about movies and like, uh, just different conversations that were happening in the room and having fun and just relaxing and enjoying being in the company of other people again was amazing. Okay. Yeah, I, I would agree with all that. So Terry, uh, like, give it to me, dude. Um, so kind of last minute, uh, Greg Nicotero was added to the cast reunion for Day of the Dead, and I almost chunked in my pants. I was like, <laughs> this guy is attached to so many movies. He's attached to Kill Bill. He's attached to uh, Eraser. Like just weird off movies to action flicks and everything. He's an actor, director, producer. He um he's helming uh the production of uh Walking Dead and Creep Show. And he is such a talented individual and just to be able to talk to him for a moment. He was such a uh, he was just, it was just wonderful to talk to him and um just to get that moment with him speak to him for a moment and i got a picture with him i it just made made the experience worth it just for that just the admission to come there to drive out there um to the con but honestly my favorite memory of the entire weekend was just spending time with you guys uh, you know, our friends of shows, uh, you know, other uh, other shows that we are affiliated with and that like it was really wonderful to see a lot of our friends. And it's like I got to see like 10 people that we see we could see on a normal day basis. But, you know, COVID and everything. It's like <laughs> so it's like they feel so far out of reach. Yeah. And then, you know, the mandates drop and that, and we get to this one location. It's like 
it was a family reunion for me. Yeah. And then to finally get uh, to meet a friend of show, Richard Staving, who we've had on uh, Strange Highways before. And he's a wonderful person. You, you went to college with him. And just a kick-ass dude, man. Like, really enjoyed having all those conversations. And like, you know, like... Steve was saying, just sitting in a hotel room, acting like normal people again. Like it just, it was wonderful to have those kind of interactions again. Yeah. So, uh, for me, I like in terms of like the con, um, I, I just, it was nice just to go. Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't meet any celebrities. I kind of wandered around. Like there's, there's, there's people that have shown up to cons to us locally that I've talked to previously. So that was nice to be like, you know, like, oh yeah, this is what's going on. Um, but it was nice to, just kind of exist and watch everybody again um, and watch all you guys have a good time. Like that's like, because I know um, the dead, the dead films are more foundational and important to you. That's I'm not trying to be dismissive. It's just, it is what it is, you know, like, but it was cool to go to the mall, like just to see, like to figure out where things were a little bit, you know, like to be sitting in the, the food court and asking uh, Samuel of at the devil ball at the devil's ball is like, Hey, where was the ice rink? He's like right here. I'm like, I kind of thought about it, but I'm like, I couldn't, I, it was one of those things where it's like, it seems right to me, but I wasn't sure, but it was nice to be like, Oh yeah, there's that really cool sequence in that movie in Dawn of the dead where there's like the, the ice rink shown multiple times and just, I don't know, wandering around the mall and having uh, the music to the gonk play through your head as you're wandering around. And also Steve, you, you need to appreciate this. You weren't feeling hundred percent and feeling out of yourself. So what you're saying is you felt very zombie like on Sunday walking around this mall. And that to me is really entertaining that you had a hard weekend and you're kind of just like shambling through the mall on a Sunday. That seems very appropriate to me. So I thought that was fun. Um, yeah. Favorite, favorite moments of the weekend was all of us hanging out, but also because it's Pittsburgh and God damn it, there's never a straight line anywhere in Pittsburgh. For whatever reason, every time Steve and I ended up in a car with a third person, we lost our sense of direction <laughs> every time. Throughout um, the equilibrium. Just, I don't know what happened, but like we're trying to go from the mall to our hotel. Uh, and we had, uh, we had Richard with us and the GPS took us like all over God's half acre. And then I'm like, how is this close to the mall? And then when it was just he and I in the car, it's like, oh, it's right over here to the left. I don't know how <laughs> that happened every goddamn time. Like it was just like Pittsburgh is Narnia, but uh, tunnels and bridges. And I remember showing up at the hotel when we got there and being like, how far is this damn place? And yeah. like, how long did it take you guys to get here? Yeah. It's like, I don't know, like seven minutes. Yeah, and I was like, like what? I was like, what? I was like what in the car of, for 25. What kind of Mobius strip is this? <laughs> like it was, we uh, found a wormhole. Yeah, it we was were, weird. Every time, every time. Um, so that was funny to me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, and then it just felt like, like everything that could go wrong happened. Like Steve, I know you were like very upset that, um, you went to go grab a soda out of a machine and it immediately just fizzed all over the place. I'm like, that's appropriate for the weekend. And it was one of those things. It's like, either you could be mad about it or just like laugh. Cause nothing seems to be working right at all. Like, so I don't know. Like even, even like when our mini fridge froze everything, I just, <laughs> I just had to laugh, like, because it was like, cool. Literally, everything in our mini fridge is frozen solid now. Yeah, uh, and then like, and Steve, here's a spoiler for you. Like when we first got there to the mall, we found a restroom, but then like, turns out my body wasn't finished with restroom things. And I had to, um, 
I had to go upstairs and I just, I saw all, I met the guys. They're like, I was like, where's the restroom at? They're like, over here. And that's how I got introduced to the really long hallway from Dawn of the Dead because I was running to go find a bathroom because my body wasn't done with me yet. So I'm I like, I was, I was like, here's some movie history. Oh gosh, I'm turning inside you out right now. You look like you just robbed a bank. Like, it was, I, no, because there was a deposit coming and I had to, like, I couldn't, it was bad, bad, bad news. Well, I think I said it a couple times over the weekend. Uh, you know, you forget about being in public restrooms too, where it's like, ah, no matter what time of day, it always feels like somebody just took a fresh dump whenever you walk in. The, uh, the <laughs> and that's why I was like, like, I'm going to be that guy. And I feel so bad about it. So anyway, <laughs> it's like you yeah, didn't do it on the back of the toilet. No, it was like, like somebody did. It was like Dawn of the Duke. And that's why I was like, it was so bad. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a good fun weekend. Um, all right. So uh, I know <laughs> I've, I've not broken the both of you. Uh, anything like, um, any, anything else post a vacation or post post con, um, convention weekend that you guys did? Anything else before we get to news? Anything else? No, that was pretty much it. Like I came back home sat- Sunday and I was shot, and then Monday uh, I don't remember really doing much of anything. I think I was just kind of vegged out. Monday was my um, don't bother me day. Like I was like I'm just going to sit at home and do absolutely nothing. Yeah. I was I was off Tuesday. I just I just want to mention uh, that I actually bought a ticket to a movie in a theater. Like it was my first movie that I've been to since the pandemic. Like that wasn't a private showing, um, and I was excited for that. I went to a two o'clock um, showing of Werewolves Within, um, and it it was me, two other dudes to begin with, and then there was like a half hour of of previews. I'm not kidding. Like I felt like the cinema was like, hey please stay. And it was like every preview was playing. And then just as the last preview was playing, a father comes in with like two kids. Oh, um, <laughs> oh no. And I was like, and really? Like, no, they didn't. Thankfully. I'll say this. The kids talked a little bit, but they weren't like obnoxious. Like it was like, you could like, it's a theater. You can tolerate a little bit. I was just like, Oh, why is there this rule that, People that show up at the very end of the previews are the worst people to deal with. And it turns <laughs> out that wasn't the case. I, I had anxiety. I'm not going to lie. But Werewolves Within was actually a really fun movie. And it's on VOD right now. People want to actually pay to rent it. I just saw it was available in the theater, so I went to go watch it. It has, um, oh, let me look up the cast real quick. The cast is actually really, 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 really I, good. I've not heard about this. So has there been quite a bit of buzz about this? Um, mm. uh Kind of, sort of. I mean, it so it, it's actually um, it's actually loosely based upon a video game. Okay, uh, but that video game is also loosely based off of like One Night of Werewolf, the like the board game, like the little simple game. But anyway, okay, it has um, Steve. I know you you've seen what we do in the shadows. I need to get caught up. It has uh, Harvey Gillian, who is um, Guillermo from oh, uh, the shadows Guillermo. okay so i've seen the artwork for those yeah uh sam richardson which i know him mainly from uh conan like uh abroad or whatever he does when he travels like the one he went with sam richardson to one of the countries in africa and had a really like hilarious like time there uh the guy's really really funny uh melania uh milana melania i think it's melania Viantrub, who people will know her as lily from the at&t commercials She's the hmm. spokesperson for AT&T, but she, she actually has her own career being a really funny person before that. Uh, well, she's then, also, she was, I think she was at one point cast a squirrel girl and then that show never happened. That, that would make sense. That. Yeah. She would, be I a, could see that. Yeah. She would be a wonderful squirrel girl. 
Uh, and then also you had uh, Cheyenne Jackson, which, Steve, you watched 30 Rock, right? Yeah, I think I, I fell off somewhere before the last season. But, but yeah, do you I remember the bit where they actually just they brought somebody in the cast that was like the, the guy that was the robot outside that was all painted like silver? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. him. Uh, okay. So the, so the whole the whole hook of this is that uh, Sam Richardson is a um, park ranger or like um, not park ranger, but like, a, like part of the, like the National Monument Service or whatever brought in to be the new ranger for the small town in like New England somewhere. And uh, he shows up like just as things are turning upside down, the small town where people are dying, it, like just unexpectedly. And they all end up in this lodge and they begin to suspect that maybe one of them is a werewolf. So it becomes a question of like, it's kind of clueish. People compare it to Knives Out. I don't think that's very accurate other than it's a whodunit. But it, it's it's entertaining. It's funny. I wouldn't say there's like gut-bustingly funny moments throughout. However, it's a very entertaining movie. Sam Richardson. Rated just, R? It is rated R because wow. uh, the violence and the swearing is really, really great in the film. Swearwolves? Swearwolves. Um and uh. <laughs> I I have been a fan of Milana Van Trub forever. So uh, when she showed up in this, like I know that she has really good comedic timing. Her and her and Sam Richardson have really good chemistry together. Like it's and the film goes places you don't expect it to go. So that the less I say, the better. Yeah, but it's a it was a really fun movie. I enjoyed it. It's just that it feels very Edgar. It's like Edgar Wright light. Meaning yeah. like, so like fun characters bouncing off each other, fun camera placements. Like there's literally moments where someone's talking and the camera just moves slightly to the left. And there's someone like behind them that was in the scene the entire time. Like there's, there's some good bits like that. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, like I paid six bucks to see it in the theater, like whatever, like, cause it was a Tuesday, but like I Man would recommend prices. this. Yeah. Like it was yeah, like, cool. and it was a, it was a good theater experience. It was a good welcome back to the movies. Um, but yeah, I would recommend it. You know it's what? Just, and it's, it's good that you got out there and you gave them some money too. Cause I, yes. I've seen some advertising for this and advertising isn't cheap either. So good on you to at least no, give them a little Terry, bit you, of money. You would dig this. It's fun. And, yeah. and Steve, you dig it too. Um, it's, it's worth your time. And there's some, uh, some nineties music drops that happened that just like made me laugh and be like, you got me fine. You got me type of thing. But, uh, fun movie, really fun movie. That sounds like fun, and I do want to mention real quick, you brought up the theater experience, and I don't want to go back to Living Dead Weekend so quickly into the conversation after we just left it, but I, I it brought up a memory of one other thing. If This is just a note for people who are listening. If you're at a panel and there are people on stage talking, nobody wants to hear you and whoever you're with have a discussion <laughs> behind you. Yes, yes. Particularly if the audio is not great and people are trying to suss out what people are saying so that they can enjoy the panel that they went to. Uh, just shut the hell up. Like I was so frustrated on Saturday during the return of the living dead panel. Uh, cause the, the audio wasn't great. And my wife and I have had this discussion because she went with me in 2018. I'm like, I know it was in the same area and I don't remember having trouble understanding people having the conversations on stage. Cause we, we saw an awesome, panel with Greg Nicotero and Tom Savini back in 2018 uh, talking about special effects makeup and just going back and forth in their experiences and their friendship and that was a great panel and I'm like I don't remember having this feeling of like I'm giving every fourth word what are they saying but just a note to everyone else if you go to a panel shut the hell up because the people who are on stage are the ones we want to hear right I'm uh, done now no Sorry. no like I, I just I feel like you and I touched like a cursed idol and somehow we've we flipped 
audience experiences. Cause I always feel like, like when I go to the theater, it's terrible. And you're like, yeah, it was pretty good. So I feel like maybe, maybe you and I need to go touch that idol again. So you can have well, good experiences again. With the I'll public. be at the theater tomorrow night. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. It's a, what's a, the, uh, vice versa. You ever yes. seen that? Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to, are you, are you, are you, did you get, you guys get your tickets for, um, fast, not fast nine or whatever it is. Is that what you're watching? Not Fast 9? No, uh, we are seeing Black Widow tomorrow evening. Oh, okay. Oh, great. Look at you. Look at you. Yeah, um, yeah I'm going to see that this weekend at some point. But don't, So don't ruin it for me, please. Um, I'm going to call you directly after I get out of theater. And just tell <laughs> be like, you exactly what hey, she lives at the end of this, so she can die in Infinity War. I'm like, no! All right, no. Um, so no, that was my weekend. I had a vacation, went to the zoo, went to Living Dead Weekend, Um uh, you know, a lot of fun. Saw a movie. Pretty, pretty, pretty good va- mini vacation that I had. So we're still looking at a, a long weekend talk here, too, right? So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Sorry, sorry. No, Ter- it's, Terry's it's, calling us out on what we do here. Was there anything else on the weekend? Like, Terry, do you have anything else? On the no, weekend? no. I mean, yeah, like gonna... anything else is really not that important. So, so what you're saying is that we're about the same time per episode where we're at for weekend talk. So yeah. there we go. Yeah. All right, we, we, Steve, we good? We good? We can go on some news. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. everyone uh, not good news hooray hooray denied so steve uh, lead us off here so director richard donner passed away at age 91 uh just a couple of days ago i believe it was monday that he uh it, it, if it wasn't monday that he passed it was the day that it was announced that he had passed on uh for those of you who don't know who richard donner is he's a legendary director directed everything from the omen to the 1978 christopher reeve superman to the goonies to the lethal weapon series uh he's all over the map and has had his hands in a lot of different pots uh he was a producer on uh the tales from the crypt revival that was on hbo in the late 80s early 90s uh just a, a an amazing legendary filmmaking talents and uh a guy who i think doesn't get enough credit for what he started with 1978 superman uh but I mean, once you get past that, you're like, oh, what else did he do? Oh, he made an, a very iconic horror film. Like, uh, people love The Omen. I'm one of them as well. Uh, uh, he made one of the most profitable action series of the late 80s, early 90s with Lethal Weapon. Um, and I know that I recently said things about Lethal Weapon series where I was like, oh, you know, the the – the attitude towards you know mental health is a little troubling these days looking at it in hindsight but like there's still really well done action movies and for my money that first movie that fight with uh you know Mel Gibson and Gary Busey is still pretty damn great um but it it was sad to see that he's gone cuz uh at one point you know he was talking about and even for all of the things that I just said about Lethal Weapon, the fact that he's he wanted to make a Lethal Weapon 5 where I'm like, I don't know. Murtaugh was trying to retire in 87. <laughs> it's 2021. <laughs> I don't know that you could really find a way to work him into the story. But like, like Lethal Weapon 5, this shit. Yeah, they <laughs> keep on changing was, the retirement age for his 401k. Yeah, right now it's like instead of him being just too t- like too old for the shit, it's called this shit. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was sad to see that he passed. I think that he is a guy who touched a lot of people's lives. I mean, he made one of the best kids movies that you know 
even though I brought up Explorers earlier and you kind of poo-pooed that one, even though well, he's we, not involved in it. Before we start recording, you mentioned that you were going to buy Explorers, like the new Fancy of Edition, and I, I did make jokes, yes. Yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, in that same realm, Goonies right. is easy. Anyway, sorry, yeah, the, the Goonies is great, not the Explorers. Yeah, Goonies is an amazing kids film. Uh, and then I left out Scrooge, which is one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies. I, yeah. I can't not watch Scrooge at Christmas because it's an amazing movie that I don't think gets enough credit uh, well, these days. And you and I even talked about it, and that was that was a fun mm-hmm. talk. And then and then recently we shone a light on the Donner cut of Superman 2, so I think that was important and, and valid. And like and with Terry and I on Strange Highways, where we've been watching The Twilight Zone and Order um, – Donner came into the fifth season of the original series and he directed uh terror 20,000 feet, which is like the, one of the most iconic episodes of the twilight zone. And it just happened to be that with his death, we were coming into another Donner directed episode called the jeopardy room. So it was very important for us to appreciate. This is where he was cutting his teeth before he would go on to do movies. Right. So, Dude, dude was all over the place, and I think that it. You're right. Like it's one of those. He's one of those guys that has done so much for the like the blockbuster and for the film and for TV that um, maybe because he was just a nice guy and, and and I've never heard a negative thing about him. Maybe that's why it gets overshadowed because he didn't have controversy or darkness. I don't know, but it bugs me. And I said this to, to Terry during the, their episode of the Jeopardy room. And I think Steve, you'll appreciate this. I don't like referring to him in past tense. Now that's just a bummer, right? Like, you know, cause he was important and he is important and people should dig into his work. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that uh, if you're a fan of, uh, of just movies in general, I can't imagine one of his movies not being somewhere on your list of like either great experiences that you had watching a movie or one of your favorite movies. Like it's, it's an amazing career that he had. And thankfully, you know, he did get at least to be like 91. It wasn't, you know, this isn't the case of saying like, Oh, gone too soon, but it still sucks nonetheless. Cause it's like, man, we just lost another legend. So, yeah. And I know that you want to talk about it cause it's important to you. So glad that we did. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to, to mention about Donner before we go on to our next story, which is going to the, the as much as you have grateful things to say about Donner, I, I can guarantee you're going to be mad about this next story. So get out the good because there's some bad coming. Uh, so I'll just say this. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I realized until I was somewhere in my 20s just how good that original Superman movie is. And every time I go back and watch it, I'm still blown away with how good it is for a movie that was made in 1978. Are there some special effects that don't look great? Yeah. But there are some special effects that don't look great in, say, The Matrix Reloaded, which was made in, like, I don't know, 2001, 2002. We don't well, talk about um, that movie. No, but from what I was reading, like, his big thing <laughs> no. was, like, it needs to be a love story, and we need to believe a man can fly. And in those two statements, that movie, that he was successful, right? I think so. some people, though, build their whole, like, critique of film as, like, well, I didn't buy that special effect. And it's like, okay, well take into context when this was made, you know, this is stuff that's being established at the time. Like nobody thought that Superman would look as good as he did. And a lot of that is due to Christopher Reeve's performance, yeah, but core I think strength, that that absolute core strength, my God, like, yeah, but also <laughs> the fact that like, you know, Donner sort of willed the version that we got into existence. You know, he is the one who really sort of, because there were the script was written by Mario Puzo and it was 
more camp than not. And he really was like, you know, if I'm going to do this character justice, if I'm going to make people believe in this character. And he loved this word. He brought up the word verisimilitude, which just basically means that, you know, bring the truth to what this character is uh, to the screen and people will be there for it. And he did that. And I, I think that in an era where, you know, I have kids telling me today, like, wow, you don't like Superman today because you, you're stuck in the 70s. I'm not stuck in the Wait, 70s. How old, old are, are these, these children? kids that you're talking to? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I did the I did the old man voice, didn't I? Like, are these, uh, are these uh, are sir, what, what's going on? You know, like, are these like, these like, um, yeah. just Don Rickles, small kids. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I apparently no longer have any, uh, control over the voices that I do. <laughs> you know, uh, just like all these little kids that talk to you like, Oh, you just, you don't even know what's going on anymore. Like, <laughs> and I don't like that critique because I'm like, I have no problem with Henry Cavill. I think he's a great actor. I think he could really do something with Superman if they gave it to him. So like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I do now having seen Donner pass, I do lament even more the fact that we didn't get a series of Donner Superman films. And that bothers me because I think he could have really done something special and we could have maybe even gone past. And admittedly, I realize four is the one that people poke at, but like, Maybe we would have gotten more Christopher Reeve in good movies after that. Well, at least we're getting Superman. we're getting those comics, right? The ones that are set around like the seventies, like Reeve Superman, right? So at least yeah. like I think there's that's some like the there. new universe to type of idea. Yeah, kind of. They're doing that. They're doing like a Batman nineties. Like they're like they also have the Batman sixty six, right? Like they're doing. Yeah. That's like, but what if you continued? So I think people are, are are carrying the torch. So at least from a comic books like idea, you can get some of that like. I, I, it'll be fun to explore that. I, but you're right. I wish in a cinematic way we would have gotten more of him and, the, and for and, Superman at least. And, and, and I, I should mention this too real quick. I'm sorry, Terry. I just cut you off. No, uh, somewhere in the early to mid 2000s, they covered, they actually got Donner to come in and work on some Superman comics that kind of covered like, no, it's not set in the Superman movie universe, but they use some of the ideas that he had for where he thought Superman should go past what he he had done originally, um, and they incorporated that into some Superman stories that I think lasted about a year. It was him and Jeff Johns, and I think one of the Kubert brothers was the artist on mm. it. So I would recommend seeking that out if you are somebody who wants to find more Richard Donner Superman. All right, so all right, um, so we're going from something that we should appreciate and value and dig into more to this story, Steve. So here you go. Here's the headline. This is from the AV Club. I'll read it the way it said. Uh, if they won't let Zack Snyder make a stupid Star Wars, he'll just make his own stupid Star Wars. So Zack Snyder has lined up his next project on Netflix, uh, which is called um, Rebel Moon. Right. So his <laughs> here's the synopsis, Steve. You tell me what you think of it. Uh, the story is set in motion when a peaceful colony on the edge of the galaxy is threatened by the armies of a tyrannical uh, regent named Balisarius. D- desperate people dispatch a young woman with a mysterious past to seek out warriors from neighboring planets to help them make a stand. Uh, I, I mean, I, I guess I'll just say that I hope that he has a good writer. And oh, he doesn't. It's one of the guys that helped write Army of the Dead. So no, um, <laughs> no. Oh, no. It's, uh, he'll be directing, fired. co-writing alongside Army of the Dead, Shea Hayton and Three Hundreds, Kurt Johnstad. So we know there's abs. We know that much. 
I mean, look, I, I, I don't want to sit here and shit on Zack Snyder all the time. And, uh, you know, I, I genuinely write in theme with our weekend. Like, I actually really like his remake of Dawn of the Dead. Um, I like that it's vastly different and is a different take on on that film. Thank you. Thank you for but, saying that. I, I really enjoyed it, too. I just want to put that two cents in there real quick, man. I really enjoyed it. I saw it at the theater. I was one of the I was the only one in that theater, too, just as a heads up. <laughs> No, that's that's a good movie, but it was also not his script. Right. Well, Well, it was James Gunn's script, which, yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's James Gunn writing. So I I just, I feel like, you know, it's an easy target, so I'm not going to sit here and shit on it. But I, I, I think if you're hiring uh, Snyder as a gun for hire, like, you know, you have somebody, okay, we all know that, like, We've talked about this before that, like, I, I don't think The Last Jedi is a bad movie. I have some issues with it. But if you were like, Ryan Johnson's writing it and Zack Snyder's going to direct it, I'd be like, okay, at least he's got a writer who's capable yeah. at the helm. Like, uh, I, oh, I, you know. Well, let me let me give you this one other bit here. He's making more money than I'll ever see in my yeah. lifetime. So what do I know? Let me give you this last bit here. Snyder, like it says here per the article on the AV Club, Snyder put a finer, even finer point on by saying the Rebel Moon, and they rate their own snark, which would be an appropriate name for Star Wars. Think about it. Uh, is inspired by his childhood as a Kurosawa fan, a Star Wars fan. It's like, do not loop Kurosawa into, like, because eh, I know Lucas was inspired by Kurosawa to make Star Wars, but I oh, I just feel like he's like, yeah, what if there were Star Wars, but there were tits? Like, I feel like that's what we're going to get with this movie. I feel like that's what's going to happen, you know? So it, uh, I'll say this. If Lucas hadn't been so glowing about his love of Kurosawa, would filmmakers today be able to go to that well? I don't know that they would. You know, I, I don't know that they would be like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I discovered Kurosawa and I love it just as much as George Lucas. And I can see how it, it you know, informs Star Wars. I I don't think they could. That's I, fair. I, that's just me being like cynical. But like, I don't know. <sighs> I, I think I think we're saying that from you and I both aren't as like we're not versed in Kurosawa's output. But to know that he inspired Lucas to end up spawning like this, like, you know, what, like the space Western or whatever it is. Right. And then ended up uh, inspiring, uh, you know, um, Leone into doing like actual Westerns. Like his work is like splintered off in way different directions. So you're right. If they, maybe if people didn't shine a light on Kurosawa, that that's like, which he deserves it. Like, I'm not trying to say that otherwise, but um, you're right where it's like, Oh, well it's, it's Kurosawa inspired. It's like, I don't know. Like, what? What's a go-to comic artist where it's like, yeah, I'm really trying to. Like, I'm really trying to do this, and it's like an easy catch-all when you describe your work. Well, I mean, you know, if you're, I mean, the one that comes to mind for me is, is you know, I mean, Jim Lee. Jim Lee. I don't know that you can get more popular than Jim Lee at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a guy whose career just seems to. He gets better and better. Like a lot of times artists will fall off where they have a great period where they're super creative and they're doing a lot of work and then they sort of stop doing work or like, and I know you've, you've, we've discussed like how you're not really a Mike McNola guy, but like Mike McNola, I think, you know, for the most part, he just does art pieces now. I don't think he's doing a lot of comic book work anymore. So it's like people seem to have like phases where it's like they'll do like this big chunk of work 
and then it'll trickle down as they get older. And I feel like Jim Lee is still as relevant in 2021 as he was in 1991. Fair enough. So maybe so, that's the. So if you're saying that the science slasher is, is, is inspired by Jim Lee, like that would be the easy grab, right? If I said that people should punch me in the dick, I'm, <laughs> I'm setting up an unrealistic expectation. Like, oh. you know, I, I, but you're, you're like, listen, Sarah Slasher is inspired by Rob Liefeld, except we have feet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe that should be the thing. We should just, you know, never establish feet in any no, of the comics. Wouldn't it be great if, like, an, an, ep, an, an episode, sorry, issue four, when you, like, you round out the story or whatever, like, there's one page at the very end. It's just like a, a, like a cutout page with all the feet that you could put on all the characters at the end. <laughs> Like you're like attach feet at will. <laughs> I, I will admit that I, I I'm at a point now where I'm like, you know, I, I'm I, I'm swinging back not on that like I enjoy his his artwork that much more, but I'm like, you know what? He's he's the easy target. He's become the Zack Snyder, I guess. Where it's like just like back in the day when people were like, oh, J.J. Abrams is making a movie. I hope it's got lens flares. Ha ha ha. Like, okay, yeah, I get it. He likes well, Was that there. the young kids talking to you at that time about that? Back in my day. Back, back <laughs> in my day of three years ago. Yeah. There's someone between 15 and 80. <laughs> just say that. No, no. And so I just wanted to get your take because of the um, conflicting uh, emotions about Zack Snyder and then him basically being like, I'm going to make my own Star Wars. It's like, okay, we'll see. Maybe it's cool. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. You know. you and Richard had kind of covered this uh, in the last two weeks because you guys had Star Wars stories on both weeks that I wasn't on. Uh, you know, one in which, uh, you know, Star Wars fans are right because uh, some writers might not lo- know Star Wars gospel and verse the way they do. And then the following week where people were like, don't t- change the name of a toy that I bought 40 years ago. Um, I I will say that I wish Star Wars fans were less terrible. Like I, I, I'm saying that as somebody who is just terrible to Zack Snyder. But like, you know, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't immediately poo-poo uh, Zack Snyder directing a Star Wars movie if I was like, oh, he's got a really great writer. If it was James Gunn, I'd be like, oh, oh. I'd, be, I'd be stoked. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, he's got James Gunn writing it and he's going to direct it. Sign me up. I'm in. I, I love James Gunn and I think that Zack Snyder, you know is a very visually interesting director, even if I don't always enjoy the choices that he makes. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I could get on board with that, but what you're describing, it sounds like it's playing into that whole, like, well, DC won't let me make my justice league movie. So we're going to have to beat them up until they do. Oh, Lucasfilm won't let me make my star Wars movie. So we're going to have to make my own version. And as you put it, Maybe it'll have tits. So I don't know. <laughs> Slow motion tits. That's that's what it would be. Um, yeah. Those are the best. <laughs> Just gonna put that out there. Those, those are the best. Uh, yeah. Have you ever seen Ten? I mean, seriously. Ten. Yeah. Oh. The Bo Derek. Oh, film. the Bo Derek film. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. That beach scene. Oh, I mean, I feel like what was the, what was the, the canon film? Steve, what was a bolero? 
that she did yeah. where it was like they're like we give you money to do this film it's like everyone's like this is soft core pornography <laughs> like, yeah so yeah not to bring bring down the, the you mean the, chris farley's stepmom from italian boy Bo yeah. Derek? yeah yes <laughs> and she got out of the pool uh in right. slow motion as well yeah right yeah mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, not to be that podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Welcome, everybody, to TitsCast. This is what's going <laughs> no. on. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, no. Um, all right. So. I'm the unrefined one. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're unrefined. Yeah. I am you, far from Have you refined. talked to Steve and I ever about anything? <laughs> All right. So, okay. So, I feel like we're, we're, uh, we've, we've gotten where we're going with that story. So, all right, Terry, I have a secret story. I have three options for you. Let me give you some suggestions here one is involving um things that shouldn't be on cars uh one involves um animals harassing people and then another one is um let's see here it is about um my home state setting uh a uh a guinness record being dumb so you got west virginia being west virginia you got things that should not be attached to cars and then animal harassment. Give me the cars one. I, 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 I'm okay. always interested in this kind of stuff. All right. Well, in, in passing, I'll let you know that the, the options you do not choose um, <laughs> is the, world, the world's longest plastic water slide record broken in West Virginia. That seems right. You know, whatever. Woo! Woo! Yeah. All right. So. Uh, as long as no one got diarrhea on it, right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. It could have happened. Uh, somewhere in Louisiana, there was a town that had more than 60 ducks that were relocated from a neighborhood because people were complaining about the ducks, like following them because they're ducks <laughs> and they're kind of becoming a nuisance. They even mentioned, they're like, you open a window, they hear it. They just show up. It's like, yeah, anyway. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't be an episode of invasion without like bird harassment. All right, so <laughs> I, I just want to interrupt here real quick. Please tell me this next story involves truck nuts. It Go does on. not. It does not involve truck nuts, Do but have truck, oh, truck but Steve, I will send you the link to the story as I'm talking about it. And I will show Terry what happened. The headline is driver pulled over in California had satellite dish mounted on hood. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's the photo of it. I just sent it to you, Steve. I don't know if you saw it or not. What the f? I don't know. Wait, seriously, the California Highway Patrol said an officer recently That's pulled. On the front of his yeah, it's on the front. It's yeah, on the front of the car. So, Steve, when you do your little four-panel <laughs> thing for the episode, please include that photo of the of the yeah. Prius or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So, this is from uh, it's from the California Highway Patrol. Said an officer recently pulled a vehicle over when he noticed an unusual visual obstruction on the hood, a satellite dish. Uh, so they said um, that Officer T. Uh, Canton, I wish I would have been like Officer T. Dish, dish person, stopped a Prius on a highway after taking over a large satellite dish mounted right in front, mounted right in front of the windshield. Sorry, uh, yeah, in front of the windshield. The post said the officer asked the driver of the satellite dish and peed their view, and the person responded, only when I make right turns. <laughs> can, can I just tell you just from my knowledge of how vehicles operate? You mainly make right turns. Yeah. Like it happens often. Right turns are the more safe bet, right? We somehow made like 30 of them on the way to the hotel this morning. Right. (laughs) We did. Um, uh, yeah, and so the was California Highway Patrol. So the dish runs afoul of California's vehicle code, which makes it illegal to mount anything on the hood of a vehicle that could obstruct the driver's view. And they wrote, It's about safety, folks. They didn't say what this was being used for. Like, why was this for, like, 
cell phone stuff? Is it is it one of those things where traffic's so bad that you're like, I gotta watch my shows? I don't. You know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> I mean, like, this, this, no, no, let me like. So I don't catching up on Wendy Williams. I, yeah, no. Like my point. Like I know. Like I, it's one of these things that I'm aware of, but I don't actually know that. Like supposedly in some areas of California, that the highway traffic is so bad that people don't talk about distances; they talk about times. So that like it could be five miles away, but that doesn't mean anything. That could be yeah. two hours away via traffic. So with this person doing this, was it like, well, it's going to be bumper to bumper, so I'm not really going to be moving. I might as well just watch whatever I want to watch. Um, or they're like, hey, I'm the dumbest person alive. Let me just mount this visual obstruction on my car. Like, why don't they just put it on, like, on their roof? Like, Here's the thing, too. Like, you would, you would imagine this being on, like somebody who's driving like a beater from the nineties or something, <laughs> but I'm looking at the photo and this is a hybrid. Yeah, like the, yeah, the Prius. Uh, oh, there's more photos. I didn't oh, really, there's nice. a second photo and you see somebody like the way they have a mountain. You see people <laughs> driving by this guy. They got pulled over. Yeah. Like Steve, you and I grew up with the, the, the era of the satellite dish, right? Like I want to, I want to go rewind back to that time where someone had like a station wagon we're just like that huge ass satellite dish just being like, listen, I need to get my, um, you know, I need to get my, um, weird sports on or whatever, you know, or weird Belgian porn on. Where, or where is this again? I'm, I hate California. Uh, <laughs> the, the Florida of the West coast. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's I, so weird, I, right? It's great. It, I, it's honestly I can't great. Imagine. <laughs> Sorry. I cut you off. No, 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 please, it, please, it, please. Just, it, that's all I had. That's my commentary there. It's just, it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. It's like the most hillbilly thing that I've seen, Which but it, it kills me. Cause it's like, it's California. So yeah. like as much as I know you, like as much as I despise the term hillbilly, it is the most like podunk looking. So, yeah. Like why is this so, happening? I, there's yeah. no way to explain it away. <laughs> like, and, and the only thing I can think of is the fact that they have a Prius they probably have like the cheapest phone, like, uh, like Boost Mobile, whatever. You know, like they have no internet. They pay by card, whatever, and they're trying to like leave this the smallest uh, like, like carbon footprint like, ever. Where was this conversation that started with this? Where it's like, hey, this is happening, and then someone's like, I have a solution. Mm. Like, <laughs> this is I mean, like I don't know if you've ever seen like you know home repairs that people have done where like their <laughs> air conditioner is out. Uh, uh, on their car or something. I guess this is more of a car repair, but somebody mounted like an air conditioner on the side of their car <laughs> or, uh, you know, where people do like the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's not uh, a fix, but, uh, um, like a remedy, uh, like the home remedy thing type. Yeah. Thing. The home remedy things or the, uh, what's it called when like, it's like, hack, Oh, I found hacks. this, uh, what's that life hack. Like, yeah. I found this life hack. And it's like, well, that's terrible. You know, that's a terrible <laughs> idea. Like, I would never do like, that. I, yeah. I just, what I, I, I'm going to put it to you guys then, just to kind of round off the news. Like, what's the most podunk thing you've done to a means to an end that was temporary? Like, that you've done to be like, this will work for now, but we really need to fix our shit. I'm sure it was just duct taping something. I'm, I'm just, sure that that's what it was. I, I can tell you, I, I, I can I tell you, moving into this house. Um, there was a bit where like where our dryer, like before we got our new dryer, when it like it shit the bed 
I took our folding table and laid it out and just like laid our wet clothes out and put like a box fan yeah. and just let everything blow over the laundry. It's not it's and, not a bad system. Though. I mean, it worked it worked okay. It's it took a while, right? So then at one point the dryer came they they brought the dryer down to our basement and they they didn't have the right material for it. So like it like there was like a tube or something missing they had to come the next couple of days. But we had laundry that was wet. So I was laying wet laundry over our dryer and then using a fan to blow it dry. And I I I, I told my wife, I was like, Mary, it's still serving its purpose. And she got mad at me. <laughs> Because <laughs> it is a dryer, just wasn't actually drying anything. Well, here, here's me because I procrastinate. Uh, I know exactly what I've done. We have a screen door that in the winter time the wind was so bad it broke it broke it into pieces. Like oh, so, no. there's like this interior in, internal stuff that's made out of like I don't know cork or wood or whatever, and it was just pouring out onto the ground because the thing was completely busted. And I again procrastinate. Like no other, I still have that screen door on there. That that event happened like three years ago. I duct taped the shit out of that thing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, dude, it's still kind of there. I'm like, I'm going to do this until I get the measurements. I don't take measurements of anything. And then when I finally go to the store, I'm like, oh, I probably should have taken the measurements of that door. Oh, I could have no. ordered one. <laughs> oh, well. So, Steve, where, where are you at with uh, some podunkness? So coming from a family of mechanics and people who are mechanically inclined, uh, I somehow that gene skipped me. But uh, my brother, uh, who is a mechanic, uh, has offered me many a remedy to get me by. There was a series. There was there was a time in my life where the exhaust pipe broke off mid center of the car that, you know, so it wasn't like. Uh, at the muffler, it was like literally like in the middle of the car, oh, yeah, kind uh, of by the catalytic converter. Yeah. So he was like, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to get a can of soup <laughs> and you're going to like pour the soup out, take the label off, cut the, no, no, no. Just, enjoy the soup. Well, <laughs> enjoy the it. soup. I, I'm actually of the belief that soup isn't really food. Um, but, uh, that's <laughs> if you got me. like chicken and stars, like don't just leave it. You know, it's you know. fine. I mean, it's okay, but nobody walks away from soup as a meal and is like, oh, I feel good. Maybe a stew. Have you ever maybe, had, uh, maybe okay, chili? Uh, sure. No, no, no. Italian wedding soup is really great. Eh, what? It's okay. What, why, why are you guys, like Terry's giving me the Do you no eat face. after you eat it though? Do you yeah. normally just get Italian wedding soup and you're like, oh, this is it. I'm done. I mean, Italian wedding soup is gross. What? Yeah, it's right, gross, dude. And cream of mushroom. It's gross. No, no. Mushrooms are gross. All that's mushrooms general, are gross. Yeah, anyway, so. Hot take. So, yeah. Sorry, Steve. So, <laughs> anybody who likes it, you're wrong. You and your soup can. Like, <laughs> what if it was a can of SpaghettiOs? Is that a meal for I you? Mean, that would have been, yes, I guess. Yeah. That's that's acceptable. Uh, but it's got to be meatballs. <laughs> SpaghettiOs without meatballs is just wrong. Um, I'm, a, I'm in that level now where I'm like, if I'm going to get SpaghettiOs, I'm getting the meatballs too. Um, you got to get that protein. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, my brother's like, you're going to cut the can, uh, just down one of the sides. You're going to wrap it around and you're going to get a couple of C clamps and that's going to hold your exhaust together. And, you know, until you can get it repaired. I think I did that for a good solid year before I could afford to get it repaired. <laughs> I hope you kept the label on it too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, Oh, I could hear it came off again. Oh, I guess I got to go buy a new can of soup. I just about uh, got to fix my car. I need a can of soup. I, I, I just imagine every time that uh, Steve is taking his car to lube stop, that he would put it up in the air and then look at this can like this dude knows what like, he's doing. That exhaust is <laughs> mm, good. You know, enough. duct tape, yeah. wire hangers, 
SpaghettiOs can. <laughs> <laughs> the essentials oh. of the, the, the at-home mechanic. Like I, I we had we had a uh, Pontiac Firebird when I was growing up that um that the tape deck would work, but you couldn't eject the cassette. Oh no! You had to press the eject button and use like a hook to grab the tape out. <laughs> <laughs> so meaning. I mean, you had to go fishing sometimes for that tape. So we like so the whole thing is while you're driving, you can't change the cassette, and it would constantly play if you have a cassette in the player. But it was like, but if you knew what you're you're doing, you could make it work. So I remember my prom night. I'm like, I'm gonna put this cassette in ahead of time. Like oh, I'm, yeah. I'm a, like what, Steve? Just don't judge, right? <laughs> no, I want to hear this, Steve. Yeah. No, I, I I'm really I think he's laying out the evening here. This sounds like it's no, gonna be I awesome. Think, I'm pretty we sure played it was Mario like, Speedwagon. No, no, I think it was Bad Out Hell Part Two. I think that's what it was. <laughs> so you played I'd do anything for love over and over again. No, 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 no. The whole album cassette single. You got, yeah, right. So yeah. <laughs> I thought you just recorded it on a like a, a tape. Oh God. Yeah, over, yeah, yeah, yeah. Over, over and over again. No, just the cassette single, and then I'd follow up by my Candlebox cassette single. That's what we do. No, so like we had to figure out that way too. Like I just there's just sometimes where it's like, yeah, this is never going to be right again, but we'll make it work. Like we had a VCR growing up that for whatever reason stopped working right until my mom figured out you could flip it upside down. And it would work fine. The VCR? You, yeah, it you, would. Yeah. Huh. And it was just like, all right. So they used to have this VCR. It was like, you put the tape in, it was fine. It was like, I don't know why it's upside down. It's like, it's like, it's like, um, the motors was, were dying in it. So yeah. like to eject it and everything. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But it was more like, um, that bit in, what was the Christmas vacation where it's like, I don't know. Um, mule kicked her in the head. Her eyes went cross. She fell down a well. <laughs> eyes went on cross. I don't know. Like, I don't know what happened, but that's worked. That worked. I got I got one more. Please. I have to say, please, please, please. especially since you said the the VCR thing. So we had we had a broken VCR, and we used to have cable. So on HBO, they would show different movies and that. And The Hand of Rocks a Cradle was an important movie for my grandmother, and we wanted she wanted to record this movie. And we had one of those video cameras where it used. Oh no! You aimed at the TV. I'm not, I, dude. I wish I was joking. This is the most ridiculous thing. It was such a vivid moment to me too because I wanted. <laughs> this is amazing. Keep going. Oh my god! So we set the son of a bitch up right in front of the TV. And my grandmother and I and uh, I think one or two other family members are sitting there watching movie, but we couldn't talk. No. None of us no. were allowed to talk. You're going to record it, right? Like, yeah. And I was, cause I was like, I think this is one of those scenarios where I was like, I needed to ask something or whatever or say say a word. And my grandmother is giving me the scowl the entire time. Like Every time that she just knew that I was about to say something, I was like, this is the life I'm leading. And I'm like, I don't... I don't know. Is it going? Oh. Is it going to get any better from oh. here? I, I remember my younger, my, sorry, my older brother when we were younger took a, 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 a cassette, like like a stereo boombox, whatever, yeah. and recorded a Bill Cosby special off HBO. Oh yeah, and so you could listen to it. So you hear him laughing in the background. I'm like, what's that? He's like, this is part of this is part of the recording. I'm like, okay, whatever. But like that just makes me think. There's the one time when uh, Teen Wolf was on TV, and I'm like, I'm going to record that. And Steve, I don't know if you remember when you set up a VCR record, you had to pick the channel. I messed that up. And the next day, I came back and I didn't get Teen Wolf, but I definitely got Monster Trucks 
racing each other. I thought you were going to say you got Teen Wolf 2, and you're like, no, no, no. no. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on with these monster trucks, but it's pretty amazing. <laughs> but I love the idea that Terry's sitting Good in a party room. gift. He's sitting in there with a v, like, with the camcorder recording a TV. Yeah, and it wasn't even my choice. Yeah. I mean, if it was anything, it wouldn't have been that. It would have been the Scramblies or something. <laughs> the Scramblies. Like some, you want some EVP, you know, or EVT, you know, like, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so anyway... It's- Sorry. It just makes me think of people who are like trying to take selfies these days in a mirror, and there's always something in the background that's askew where you're like, wait, is that a dildo behind yeah. that person? What? Or, what? Did you dump in the toilet? Like, or, that, that, like, what? That can't be that can't be by accident, right? Like all the people that post those like real estate photos of like where they're like yeah. there's photos of them in the house, but then you always find the reflection of them naked taking photos. Yeah, or, like, yeah, or they're selling something on eBay. And it's like you know you like, did that's the, a dong. Like, like my thing is like take the picture. Like like did you? Why do you have to be naked doing that? <laughs> and it's like you want somebody to see. You yeah. know, like you want to know that. You're letting people know that this item's for sale and other things are negotiable. That's what's going on. Um, <laughs> this item's for sale and so am I. Apparently. Yeah, yeah, right? So, like, yeah, yeah. Here, here's a hutch and a, some other things as well. But um, anyway, so yeah, some some idiot attached a, <laughs> attached a satellite dish um, like to their hood of their car. So there you go. That that's the story. Cheers to you, sir. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Yes. This was clearly the best story, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I'm, yeah. I'm glad I was given the the option to yeah. choose. Because well, even Steve's like, let Terry pick. I'm like, yeah, okay, great. You know, he's the guest, right? So <laughs> I'm just um, waiting for like whatever that shoot was to drop, you know. <laughs> I knew it was gonna be fun. No, I just you know, like we like the secret stories to me are one of my favorite things of this show. <laughs> Is because I think we all pick them out of like general good naturedness, like because we don't like I don't know, like we want to get reactions. Like that's yeah. one of my favorite things about podcasting, honestly. With the, like, I'll say this to the two of you, like I love getting like genuine like reactions. I think that's the best part of recording. And, right? and, and and as a listener of your podcast, I will have to put out there one of my favorite secret stories that you ever had was the <laughs> the Las Vegas giant dildo story. <laughs> I was losing it at work listening to this. And my my boss thought I was like had, I had Tourette's or something. Like he thought I was nuts. I was listening to this at work and just losing it. And it was like, the hell is wrong with this guy? I was like, I have to tell him right now, or otherwise, I, it's not going to make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, thank you for doing the secret stories, guys, because uh, I've gotten a real kick of them. Yeah, it's amazing. It's what, it's what we do. You're thank thank you, Steve, for your service of, of me putting you through. The story. <laughs> All right. So I think I think that's it for news. Are we done with? Do we have anything else? Any other secret stories of uh like messing up uh like household goods and trying to make them work? No, unfortunately not. I, I will have some in the future. I'm, I'm sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> when I keep I'm, on thinking, I'm not about a homeowner, them. so I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up something. <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, so yeah. All right. That's going to do it for news. Um, let's get on to our discussion. Let's continue Pale Boy Summer with talking about Martin. And now for our feature presentation. So tonight's main feature is 1977 or 1978, depending upon where you look up the information on this film's uh, George A. Romero's film, Martin. Uh, the description of the film is, is that it's uh, about a young man who believes himself to be a vampire 
and goes to live with his elderly and hostile cousin in a small Pennsylvania town where he tries to redeem his blood craving urges. Uh, this is a departure for not only Romero, but also I think for vampire films, which we'll get into a little bit more when we start talking about the film proper. But I wanted to do just a basic uh, talk about who's in the film and some of the cast. So uh, up front here, we've got written and directed by George A. Romero. Um, for those of you who are unaware of who he is, you probably should just stop listening now because we've been talking about him for like the last hour. Um, go look him up. But uh, Terry, I think you wanted to mention something about Romero in regards to the film itself. Yeah. Um, so obviously, uh, Romero made some of the most important films as far as um, horror and that, you know, of course, with uh, Night of the Living Dead, which was released in 68. Um, prior to this movie was The Crazies, another important film, I think. Uh, Dawn of the Dead is really the most important film to me. But uh, the thing that I wanted to point out here, uh, we're recording this on July 7th, um, 2021. Um in, 2000, uh, in July 16th, 2017, uh, we lost George. Um, I yeah. was uh, lucky enough to meet him at a con about three weeks before his passing. I was actually at a concert when I heard about his passing that day. It was really tough for me because, you know, I'm trying to enjoy myself. And, of course, you know, I'm hearing about one of the most prolific horror creators of all time. And probably the most important creator to me as far as cinema and that passing away so i just want to put that out there we are so close to that date i don't know when we would have a chance to talk about that again and uh you know that that's that's the only thing i really wanted to really point out there and uh you know it, it's a, it's a really important thing it was very uh it was very important for me to be at the mall um and especially with my close friends and everything and like I felt his presence there, you know, like being a part of everything that, he, you know, like having him be a part of the like kind of the the formative years of who I am as a person and that like I'm weird because of him. And it was it was <laughs> nice to <laughs> it was nice to actually say to oh. him, thank you, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be the weird person I am today. I and think it's the greatest compliment. Like, I'm weird because of you. Right. Yeah. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be the greatest thing? If someone came up to you and be like, you know what? I'm weird because of you. Wouldn't that be a wonderful compliment? Yeah. Like, and and I, I mean, I'm not like you know, or killer or anything, no, but no, like, no, it's not, like, it, not, not weird wrong. <laughs> not, it's not, not like you said, I'm a sociopath. Yeah, yeah. Because, of oh, because of you, I stalk women on trains now. Like, no, mm. you don't do that. Like, uh, I, I now know needles. Like, yeah. no, like, I don't think you'd appreciate it. It was, that. it was just like, it was, it was so special for me to actually tell him why he was important to me and what it meant for me to, to meet him there. And it's like, you don't, I don't know how often people get to meet their heroes. And this was a chance for me to actually do that. And I, I had to jump on it. I told my friends, like, we're going. I don't care what the F you say. We're going up there. I'm going alone if you don't come with me. Mm -hmm. Because this man has to be, like, a part of your, like, your weekend. Like, you have to meet this gentleman. Because you never know. And guess what? No one had a chance otherwise. Because yeah. he was actually sick at that event, too. He was supposed to do a QA, and a And he was too sick to uh, be a part of that. But I mean, what a trooper, man! Like he he was suffering for a while because of uh, different elements and that, and uh, it, it was really wonderful to meet the man, honestly. And I, and honestly, to have this discussion with you guys, especially so uh, close to the weekend that we just experienced, and that it like I'm stoked. Like this is cool. I'm gonna. Have, I think we're gonna have a great discussion. 
But. Yeah, I, I I think of Romero's passing. I remember when it, you know, finding out about it. It was one of those things where I was like, didn't know he was sick. I think uh, we talked about it briefly as we were doing the the, the tour at the Living Dead Museum because uh, I took a photo. Uh, I took two specific Romero photos. One was uh, his um, handprint and his signature on the Mall of Fame, which is spelled M A U L, because um, I wanted to have a piece of that, and then. Uh, uh, his his quote, which I think is Paul's favorite quote, which he described why he he made films in uh, Pennsylvania or more specifically Pittsburgh, was because he liked the beer. <laughs> and I I think that's an amazing quote. I love that quote too. And it was funny when Paul brought it up. I was like, I took a photo of it because I love that quote so much. Um, but it, it's that thing of you know I think we grow up watching movies and and thinking that like Hollywood is the place to make them or you know Canada I guess, but. Uh, you know, we think like you have to be in this place to do it. And here's a guy who was like, no, I'm making movies in Pennsylvania and I'm doing it where I live and where I love. It's it's one of the things that I, you know, not to detract from the conversation about Romero, but it's one of the things that really attracted me to Kevin Smith was is that like there was a flavor to his movies and he was very proud of where he was from. And he based his films about that place that he was from. And it felt real. It felt like very much like with Romero's films, you could, you could tell that like, he's the guy who lives there. He's not setting it there because he's like, well, I picked a city, you know, it's like anytime somebody brings up uh, Tommy boy, they're like, yeah, Sandusky, Ohio. Ha ha ha. I'm like, yeah, it's not filmed in Sandusky at all. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a funny little, you know, town to, to reference in your movie, as opposed to like something that might've actually been shot in Sandusky, which there aren't very many films, uh, uh, that said, I, I love that. And I do know that Romero did make films in other places and he did, uh, you know, film up in Canada at different points. But like the fact that he was a guy who's like, I'm going to stay in Pennsylvania and I'm going to make movies and I'm going to do it my way. And he didn't fall into that whole Hollywood crowd scene. Like he didn't, he, he didn't, you he, know, really sacrifice what he wanted to do to make movies. And I, I, I applaud that. I think it's, so amazing that somebody who was in the seventies where it was like, you know, they, they told you you had to be there. And he was like, no, I'm going to do my thing in Pennsylvania. And he, he fought it as much as possible. And he gave local dudes a chance, every chance he could. I mean, like Tom Slovenia is from that area. He would go to local theaters and watch productions and he would see somebody on stage and like, that's the guy I need that guy right there. That's the one I want to put in this, in this spot here. And uh, we'll get further into that uh, in a moment, but you gotta love that kind of a like spirit that y- you want to give local guys a chance. You want to give these like upcoming talents a chance, and still keep it like homegrown. And that, mm-hmm. that's one of the most wonderful things about George. That you know, like if I had more of a chance to talk to him. I would have been able to explain all of that other stuff, but being starstruck, <laughs> it was just like, right. you're the man that did the thing. And I like you. It's, it's similar to like Sam Raimi being like, all my Michigan guys are going to do all this together. It's, That's it's awesome. the same kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. like that entrepreneur spirit. That's not the right word I'm looking for, but yeah, it's like this, it's us against the world. We want to make cool shit. We're going to do it. It's, our a, way. it's like the farm to table kind of situation. <laughs> yes. Like that's the best way to explain it because it's like, you see, you see the product, you see the people, and you like you want you know that it's good you know that they're going to be the best for the job and you put that right out there out in the audience and like to the audience to to view and it's like 
There's nothing wrong with that at all. There's also nothing wrong with the other parts of the process, but you're also mudding it up a little bit. If you know that there's good people that can do the job, put them in that position. And a lot of different celebrities that have gotten great attributes after this were on this job. They they were on this. This was their first project. And that's a wonderful thing. And, you know, credit to Romero, like to see that there is talent there. No, I feel like it was the same thing with Ramey and like Carpenter, where it was like, we're going to, we're going to make our way. And then a lot of people launched off from that. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm I'm not trying to take a light away from Romero. No, no. And and that's a, that's honestly the best thing that you can attribute to because we have Carpenter now and, uh, you know, knock on wood, we keep him for a lot longer. But Carpenter did that for a lot of other celebrities, people that are doing the con scene, at least. Uh, or, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis was she was only doing like some TV spots in that and commercials. Yeah. Her first theatrical experience was being on Halloween. You know, and, and, and yeah, you're right. So it just I with this. So and, and if people would like to listen, uh, Terry and I covered. Uh, the quote-unquote lost film of Romero recently called The Amusement Park, which was recently an exclusive to Shudder. It was a a short film, about 50-some minutes, that was a pay-for-hire that Romero did. Um, which I, that directly ties into Martin and we'll get into right. why it's a, a PSA. The- yeah. But the main actor is in, in Martin as well with right. this too. So, but that was, uh, that was in, um, 73 and then he would do Martin and not the dead in 78. Um, so it was one of those things where you mentioned the things that informed you, um, Dawn of the dead is what comes after Martin. Right. And that becomes like one of like his, touchstones right for it's kind of the gold standard for everything that he did after the fact yeah to, to certain people's uh you know idea but honestly i think that he was working on all cylinders for the most part it's just that he became bankrupt essentially yeah. in 68 because of uh night of the living dead he yeah. lost his ass on that film if it wasn't for the fact that somebody got little trigger happy and putting the the product out there and it wasn't copyrighted he would have actually been like he would have been living high man but Six- maybe but maybe but we also don't know how well that film would have spread out if it wasn't copyright free like you know like because it was public domain we like that's one of those weird things it's like did he become a known person because the film was free to show like because it was a small black and white zombie film like I'm, 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 I'm sorry, Terry, I'm cutting you off. No, no. It, um, it, it's, it's like, it's there's valid. that weird chicken and egg thing of like, yeah. would he be able to actually establish himself if that was copyrighted? Uh, well, what, how can you speak to that, Steve? I'm, I'm, maybe I, I'm a little confused about those like details there. No, I mean, my understanding is, is that, uh, the film had to go and undergo a, a, a name change. Cause I think they copyrighted it under, Oh, like gosh, Night of Anubis I, or something like that? Yeah, and uh, when the last minute change came and they changed it to Night of the Living Dead, there was some sort of copyright issue where they didn't copyright it correctly, so it went into the public domain, which I still don't understand how that happens. Like I I realize like today it might be a completely different battle where it's like everyone's so savvy of how these things work, but I'm sure that they had no idea, and the idea of... Yes, I, I understand that. Like you know, one of the things that uh, brought Night of the Living Dead to people's attention was is that drive-ins were showing it all the time because they could get it for nothing. You know, and I still do wonder, like, what happened to all that money? Who the hell did it go to? Like, I don't understand how that works, but 
um, because of that copyright. <laughs> Ask issue. the people that showed. Um, it, what was it? Um, the uh, freaking Christmas movie. Um, what is it? Um, it's a good. Not Santa Claus movie. versus the Martians no. or whatever. <laughs> no. Um, oh gosh. Um, you know the big the big movie everybody shows every year. It's a Wonderful Life. Oh. Ask people where that money went because it went to the public domain. Who made money off of that until later, right? It was shown all the time. People, well, it, yeah. This was just something that they could get, and they'd show it, and it was all the profit was literally to whoever, whoever was, was showing it. But yeah. people would show up for it. Yeah. So yeah. maybe it's getting more spots theatrically because they don't have to pay anybody to show it. Yeah. But people are still coming to it. Well, it's the so. saddest thing about that, though, is that George went out. He did. He hoofed it throughout Pittsburgh and got these people that put money into it like even there was a local uh butcher that donated all the meat for all the zombie scenes and that so and and then those people that worked at that butchery actually were in the film too so like this is real guerrilla filming and i know that's not to what we're talking about now but george squeezed every drop out of what he could uh, for his projects and that and like and you can see that in this film there's a lot of heart in this movie oh well considering that like from what i was reading uh, on the internet i don't know if you guys are familiar with that or not the um, interwebs the, the yeah the, i was looking at on alta vista it said that um that the angel fire page for this film martin that they said that the budget was two hundred fifty thousand, but it was really closer to a hundred thousand because they wanted to kind of give some legitimacy to it so yeah like he knew how to stretch a dollar till it screamed I'll, yep. gi- I'll give him that. And I think, well, I that, think it's also yeah. important to point out to you that, uh, and I just cut you off, Paul, I apologize, uh, that we don't get Tom Savini's remake of Night of the Living Dead, which I really enjoy as well. But the, the idea behind that was, was like, let's remake it and make sure we get some money this time. Yes. Um, which I think I, which I'm like, that's genius. Like, I, I love the fact that they're like, well, let's do it ourselves. Let's remake it. We'll give Tom, the chance to direct it and do special effects. He can be his version of it. But the people who, you know, suffered years ago because of a snafu over a copyright get a little bit of cash too. So I, I admire that part of it too, where they, they were at least able to try and monetize it in some ways. And as somebody who does artwork and, you know, it's like, I try to stay away from doing something that isn't my own as far as like prints and things like that. I, I did do fan art prints back in the day, and I'm not saying that I'll never do one again, but, um, uh, you know, there was a point where I was like, well, I could legitimately do Night of the Living Dead as a print and not have to worry about, because it's public domain, I could do all I want with it and nobody could come after me. And there's also a piece of it that's like, I don't, just, even though he's gone, that seems like shitty to do. So I'm like, well, I would never do that, you know? So. I, I think that, uh, and I, I had a point here and somewhere, but it was mainly just talking about, you know, the copyright thing. Yes, you're right. You know, is it that the film was everywhere because nobody had to pay anybody for it? Or was it that people realized the genius of it? I think it's a little of column A and a little of column B. I think the it being available and being so easily accessible for a lot of people built the cult following and the following that the movie has, but also got it into people's heads who might not normally see it. So it's a little from, but if it was just, if it was crap, if it was, and I'm saying this as somebody who loves Ed Wood, but if it was plan nine, I don't know that it gets the notoriety. I don't think plan nine gets the kind of play that say night of the living dead does. So you're right. So like to, 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 to attach what you're saying to, 
It's a Wonderful Life, the film bombed at the box office when it first came out. And it was kind of forgotten until they screwed up the copyright. And then it became like a mainstay for Christmas like viewing. And now it's this national treasure because so many people saw it and dug it and appreciated what Capra and Stewart were doing. So I'm going to argue that the same thing happened with Night of the Living Dead because it was so widespread. It was a drive-in staple um, that like it, it, it got more, it probably got more, more exposure being quote unquote free than it would have being this low budget indie horror film. And, and it's happened for like plenty of other films like Bucket of Blood, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. When you got these, these theaters that were able to get a hold of it so cheaply and they were putting it out there, you, you started accruing this mass of people that were like, this is what I want. I want all this all the time. Where are these creators right now? And then, you know, this love of the genre influenced them to come back. And like George, again, like he had to start borrowing money from people and he mm-hmm. owed money to a lot of people until uh, the critical success of Dawn, Dawn of the Dead. Dead. Yeah. You so know, like Richard Rubenstein, yeah. uh, he ended up borrowing money from and he's like, I know this guy. I know he's good for it, and I know he has an image, uh, like a, a, a an idea, like it, it can sell to people. Yeah. So, with that being said, I'm gonna put this to you guys. So, Martin is the the, the film he makes before Dawn of the Dead. So before, so nobody knows that he can like like make money, right? So, this is him being hungry and just still trying to work. I, is that fair? I think it's a fair statement. Yeah, I think people know that he can make money. They just don't want to pay him for it. <laughs> if they want another Night of the Living Dead where they're like, how can we get this guy to make something for us and we can take all the profits? That's just me. That's fair. Go on. Um, so with this, so Terry, you'd seen this film before. Yes. Um, uh, Steve, you had not seen this before. Um, yeah, I actually, Terry is doing something right now with some of his favorite directors that I keep talking about doing. Uh, there are big gaps in my knowledge of directors that I love Carpenter Romero Wes Craven um yes I just named three horror directors but even you know uh, just Richard Donner who we just got talking about who I love uh there are gaps in my filmography for him or my what are the gaps in your Woody Allen filmography that you want to get to I'm kidding kidding. Um, (laughs) well he's an important uh, creator so I I know I know but maybe it's all the gaps uh, uh, yeah yeah Quiet, Paul. Um, <laughs> oh no! I don't like shot to the heart. I don't like this at all. Anyway, continue. Yes. But yeah, this is my first time viewing this, uh, and I didn't know what to expect going in. Uh, it's also a hard to find movie, unfortunately. Yes, unless you go on YouTube. Um, uh, and as much as we were just talking about copyright, you know, I should mention this. You know, there's a Blu-ray level copy on YouTube. And I don't understand how that happens. I really don't. I, as much as I talk about like creator own stuff with my comic and kind of knowing the gist of things, I don't understand how YouTube works because my wife put up uh, a performance from like college of some friends of hers doing a song from Jesus Christ Superstar and it got copyright flagged. And I'm like, okay, there's like a million things that I can think of that like are on YouTube that are actual like <laughs> not fraud, but like they're actual like you know, uh, movies that have come out that are just on YouTube and nobody's flagged them for whatever reason. So I don't know how that works, but I, I, I will say that, uh, when I looked up the DVD for it, it was going for something incredibly insane on Amazon. And I was like, well, I'm not getting the DVD and I couldn't find a Blu-ray for it. If there is a Blu-ray, I couldn't find it. 
Um, and this is a harder movie to find unless you go to YouTube. Right. I thought you said you'd own this. So that's why whenever I pitched it to you, I thought you had a copy. So Terry had one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. DVD. It was on YouTube and it was uh, very easy to find and it was complete film. And, um, yeah, the, the, the copy I saw was perfectly fine. Uh, but yeah, it's a really like for, considering, I mean, I don't understand how rights work, but considering shutter just released, um, the, the amusement park has, uh, pay for higher film. Like you would think that maybe they would kind of le- lean into the Romero stuff and kind of have it available. Right. Like this feels like a no brainer to me. Well, yeah, especially this film and it's regarded as a, a being a really good film by Romero and it's I mean it's better rated than like uh Two Evil Lies or um uh what's a Diary of the Dead crunchies oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh you know but it's like or even the dark half like I like the dark half I just watched it recently to speak towards what Steve was talking about um I've been uh going to directors and creators and just watching a film a week where I I know their stuff and I know that they're important creators and I just haven't watched it first week had to be Romero for me and I I adore Romero as I spoke about earlier and I had never seen the dark half. And so, but like he is the guy that a lot of people credit to being the reason why they got into filmmaking. Why is something like, you know, Night Riders or Martin or, you know, Two Evil Eyes not have a like a Blu ray, special Blu ray uh, release? Yeah. Like I, that's that, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. So, Steve, let, let me put it in you because I'm I, I'm I'm being lazy. What is Martin about? Should I throw a Some, spoiler up real quick before you say that? Sure, sure. Here's a spoiler. Do you know why they are called spoilers? Martin is about a young man who claims to be 84 years old. Who, uh, and uh, this is my own thought going into it. He sort of feels like the prototype for an incel, except he doesn't hate women. Uh, but he's unable to have any sort of relationship with women. He believes himself to be a vampire and will often attack them uh, in instances where they uh, are uh, either home alone or in, in the opening sequences of this film, this is a woman who's in a train car by herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what he does is, is he, he basically knocks them out with some sort of uh, chemical that's in a syringe uh, and then proceeds to drink their blood. He doesn't have fangs. He can walk in the daylight. Uh, there's nothing about him specifically within uh, vampire lore. We'll say that would suggest he's a vampire. And, and he also goes on to say in the film himself that, uh, you know, magic isn't real. And like the, the, the tropes like garlic and the crucifix don't really hurt him. But what's interesting about this film is, is that it comes from an angle of like, okay, his cousin is like an 80 year old man. Um, how does that work? So, and he certainly believes that Martin is a vampire, but also you're like, okay, you're doing a lot of stuff that goes against everything we've ever seen or been taught about vampires. Are you just an insane person who thinks they're a vampire? Um, so the movie is really about, is Martin a vampire? And what are the things that he deals with in his life that both necessitate that urge for him to drink blood? And I'm doing air quotes. I always forget that this is an audio podcast and not video. Air quotes. Uh, vampire. 
Um, and or is he somebody who is just literally lost all touch with reality and thinks he's a vampire? Um, and it's a question that's I, I I don't know that's necessarily ever resolved within the film. I think I know my answer, um, and maybe you know it is resolved, and somebody could be like, no, there's a definite answer. But for me, I think what's interesting about the movie is is you never really know specifically like why is it that he drinks blood why is it that he's attracted to to being a vampire like what are these things and why can't he have relationships with women uh and he he he's unable to consummate them sexually and at one point when he actually finally gets to it sort of seems to sedate that urge to drink blood so there's a lot of things going into this movie and i realized that this is why you never asked me for a summation paul this is why i give you way more No, I, th- uh, I think you did. I think a, you did a great job. Yeah, done. We're done now. Thank you. We're, There's we're, a lot we're, of interesting we're, ideas within the film that I think are explored, uh, and I kind of went through a lot of. No, 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 my, no, no. I think what this is Mark about this? No, no. You gave a perfect uh, summation of the film. Mic uh, drop. Yeah, mic drop. Yeah, like so. I think. Um, let me give. Let me see here. Let me. Steve, you deserve one of these. It wasn't especially large, but it felt hard extremely hard i don't know i don't know why i deserve that but you do it felt hard but no i think this was a, a, what you said was like this this film walks a really odd line and the tone the tone shifts which if i if, if there's to be a nitpick for me watching the film is that um as much i as i think that um uh the character of martin played by uh john Amplis, um who like he's really good in this, but I also feel like the script kind of makes him waffle yeah. sometimes, and that's frustrating to me. Where it's like, are you mute? Are you like? I mean, I know we, we know he's not mute, but it's like, like, like you you act like you're not going to talk, and then suddenly you're you're you know Chatty McGee. Like, find a lane. Like, if, if if your whole thing is that you go to your cousin Lincoln Mazel, who was Tata Kuda, which is by the way. The greatest name of any character in any film ever. Which the only reason his last name is Kuda uh, was because of the, the shop. Yeah, yeah the, <laughs> the the shop that they picked was called like Kuda's Meats like, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. they had to change his name for the character. But too. I love it. They really keep calling him Tata Kuda. It's like is this Indiana Jones where it's like watch out for Tata Kuda. Um, and I also like that Lincoln Manzel, Ma- Mazel, um, Manzel, like that's a Cleveland connection. Mazel, which Terry and I just talked about, um, he was the lead and the narrator of the amusement park, the short film. He wears the same goddamn white suit. And yes. <laughs> like in here, it's like, but you, anyway, that's confusing to me. But I, it's like low budget. I like him. He's a very compelling character. But what I'm saying at the tone, the tone of the script is that there's times where Martin, like, doesn't talk. And it's like, and there's other times where he messes with uh, Kuda. It purposely makes it a point to like try to screw with Kuda's uh, thought process because there's this weird, the mythology in this film is interesting to me where the family's like, by the way, sometimes we give birth to vampires and it's like, you just got to roll with it. He even says at one point, he's like, there's three of them still with us. And, but this whole thing of like, we don't want to make it public knowledge because that brings shame to our family. That, that I mean, that feels like it, it's, it's an odd thing to me. Um, I don't, I didn't expect that. Well, yeah. Va- vampire lore has changed throughout a, a cinematic history all the time. I mean, like we've seen films that had nothing to do 
with like the uh, traditional lore, like Twilight, uh, like uh, Vampire Kiss, um, like 30 Days of Night. You know, like there's a lot of things that have been explained away. And it's like that it just exists in that fantasy world. It's like George just looked at it and it's like, I think we can just do something with this. And even during his casting, because John Ambulus, he he found him at at a local theater. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's like, I I need to rewrite my script because he was writing towards an older character that was just kind of adjusting to the world around him, being an older vampire. And it's like, but he saw how good John was on stage. He's like, I'm going to have to reconform this issue uh, or this character for mm-hmm. his acting ability and what, who he is as a character. And I think that's a wonderful idea. It's like, it's a floating idea. And a floating character, and he was able to adjust so quickly, and that just shows the talent of George as well. No, you're right. I just, I, I, I just think that there's this compelling um, ancestral thing where it's like, uh, you know, um, uh, Kuda was like, "This is our life. This is our family. This is what we do." Because he's talking to his what granddaughter, who uh, that's um, a Karen, a Karen, a, 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 I'm sorry, uh, Christine, Christine Romero. Yeah. That, yeah. Which was his wife for a, a little while there. They actually started dating right after this movie. Oh, I, I see your list is Christine Forrest. Is that yeah, her? That, that yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. He, they got married and they were married for a little while. And she was, uh, she was her, uh, his pro, uh, production assistant and uh, casting di- uh, director for a little while there. Okay. Worked on plenty of them. Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. No, yeah. and I think she was for a lot of like quote unquote amateur actors in this film. Like most of the performances are pretty pretty good. Um, considering, you know, like it's like, I'd honestly believe that like the supporting actors in here are better than Dawn of the Dead. Cause there's times where it's like, you're just reading things off camera. Like in that film, it's like, we're moving to the next scene. I get it. Whatever. Anyway, uh, if Ken, if Ken Faree was in this film, it'd be the best thing ever. But anyway, um, yeah. So can we talk about yeah. it real quick? You were just mentioning the tone and you brought up Dawn yes. of the Dead. And I know that that's one of the things that you struggled with with Dawn of the Dead as well is, is that like the tone shifts a lot of time in that movie where it's dead serious to a pie fight breaks out. You know, I do think that this is part of the era of Romero where like he's I don't want to say figuring out what he wants to do. But like, you know, uh, Night of the Living Dead, there's not really a comedic moment. It, it comedic moment in that film. Um, there's some things where that make me laugh now where I'm like, you know, um, Oh, uh, Oh, Barbara's downstairs. No, Barbara's getting the shit slapped out or for most of the movie. It's like, that's wrong. Well, not funny. only that, but like, you know, uh, Harry Cooper in the basement, you know, uh, the mystery science theater, or I'm sorry, the Michael J. Nelson. The uh, Rift Tracks is great too. Film. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's like, it's an interesting choice to start from a place of inexplicable rage when he's talking about Harry Cooper. Because he does. He just comes upstairs and he's just all fired. It's like, well, that's an interesting choice. Yeah, yeah it's um, a, well, I, there's but, the trope of angry acting and that guy is completely angry acting the entire time. Yes. Yeah. But like Night of the Living Dead is so earnest. It's so very much a mm-hmm. serious horror film. Whereas with both Martin and Dawn of the Dead, you know, and he's I'm not taking this from anything. uh other than Romero's himself, Romero always called, you know, Dawn of the Dead a comic book of a movie. Like that's the evolution that he took from night to dawn. Um, and I think that you get some of that flavor here as well. I think that that tone, it, it doesn't surprise me if those two movies are made within a year of each other. Well, well my point way. is, it's like at the beginning, whenever we get, um, um, you know, uh, Kuda picking up uh, Martin off the train, 
after but, but, after like, committing murder. Oh my gosh! Can I just mm-hmm. can I can we can we rewind back to that where that like I'm not saying like and, and Terry, you can slap me because I know you're the the bigger Romero fan. Um, sometimes pacing is a problem. His movies where they kind of have their it's just, there's a lot there's a lot of waiting around sometimes for things like I mean maybe. You could tell me I'm wrong. That's that's my vibe from some of this. Um, like Dawn of the Dead's like two and a half hours. It doesn't need to be two and a half hours. Well, you're talking about a different cut of that film. That's too. fair. That's fair. But with this, it's like, um, and I there, and I'm going to draw this back to Hitchcock. I've not seen um, oh what was the one from those later film? Um, what was it called anyway? Like. I, well, I forget the name of the movie that he did later. It was, it was like one of the last he did. There's very vivid murder, like rape scenes in that film after Psycho. Um, the beginning of this film, it just grabs you by the throat, pun intended. It just drops you in the middle of this like horrible, horrible situation. And you don't even see the the credits yet. No, 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 no. That, that's why to, I thought the YouTube rip important. I was watching was wrong because I'm like, yeah. where? what's everything going on? And then we get this entire um, pseudo rape murder scene in this train car. Um, and it's like, Oh my gosh. Like what? Sorry. The, 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 the Hitchcock film's called frenzy. That's the one I'm talking about. But, um, and then we get this whole sequence, which is like, it, it, it's, it's equal parts graphic and not graphic. Like it's upsetting. And we got Martin being very vocal yeah. about like, you need to go to sleep. This, I don't mean this. I don't mean this. And then we get this crazy, crazy, a uh, slit of a, a straight razor going down uh, the girl's like wrist, like down, not yeah. across, down. Yeah. Um, and it's like it's horrific. And then we get credits. I'm like, I was like, it was like the first ten minutes of the film. I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm in. Like, oh my, I've, I've never felt like that beat up like the beginning of a film in quite a while, and it just gets you going. And then we now we have. <laughs> we have uh, cousin Kuda be like, we're going to go on a different train, and now I'm taking you to the rustiest part of Pittsburgh where no one's happy, and now we're going to have family matters, like, and that's good. I'm okay with the family drama, but it's like, what about the woman that just died on that train? That Martin is so good at what he does. Sorry, like so practiced at what he does. Made it look like a suicide, so no one questioned. Right, so he's putting pills all over yeah. the place, uh, and I'm sure it's still the like the same kind of stuff that he's injecting into her. Like uh, we're glazing over certain facts here. He comes Please. in with a needle and he, he injects her. She's trying to fight him off, and of course, she's trying to also fight off like through this adrenaline, whatever he injected her with. And like it's 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 such a graphic scene and and it's lit in such a way that you see just enough out mm-hmm. of these characters and uh, and just for a second too when he walks into her room he sees this black and white character it's her but she's dressed in all white and she's almost like angelic mm-hmm. and looking at him like, like and she's inviting the, that's the right, other thing there you go that's this is the idyllic in. version of what he wants to have happen that's exact yeah Thank you, Steve. Like mm-hmm. that's what I think. You're he, welcome, Terry. I, uh, I know you're thinking, Steve. But. No, it's 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 like he he plays these things out in his mind. He's like, that's the that's the woman. That's the the mark here. But yeah. I, I, but it also in his mind, it's like that's the 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 beautiful angel that I want to uh, invite into my my night tonight. Like he, these are intimate experiences with him because the way that he kills her, the way that he uh, slices her wrist. 
she's above him. Mm-hmm. She's on top of him and, and naked. They're both naked too. So it's like th- th- this film is just weird enough because of those things. Um, all the other stuff. And I, I've also prefaced this in different discussions because I knew this one was coming up. I was like, this is one that you don't really want to watch with your kids. You know, <laughs> like there's no. a lot of vampire films. Maybe it's okay for your kids. There's, there's a decent enough uh, amount of nudity in this. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just say I don't have kids. So if your kids want to watch it, bring them over to my house. <laughs> but Steve won't show his dogs this film because he values. Were, uh, I, they were downstairs. I watched this. Completely. He, he values their. He baby gated them off. He values yes. their purity. He doesn't yeah. want to ruin, you know, Bruce or Bosco. It's like, listen, you don't need to see the shit. No. You guys. Yeah. So, like, can I? But, like, I'm sorry, go ahead, Steve. Please, please say. Your, no, please. I think what. You're, you're leading to is is that the film does slow down the pace you have this opening scene where you're like what the hell just happened like wow this i can't believe we just saw this in the first 10 minutes of the movie and you're left with that unsettling and the movie just suddenly like turns into this story about him with his his cousin and it, it does the pace slows but i think that like it's building tension oh no um, no you're right I and just, I, yeah you're right you're wrong right. sorry you're oh, absolutely oh, oh, right. it does yeah. slow slow down and it does feel like you're starting with and i keep using comic book uh terminology but like it's like starting with a splash page and then going to the next page and it's nine panels you know nine panel grid which is very rigid and very you know story oriented so it's it's certainly a juxtaposition but i think it's building tension as to like what's martin's deal and i think that that's what's the word I'm looking for here? I, I don't want to say that it's, it's more paramount to the story that he's telling, but I, I, I had this conversation with you uh, on the way to, to living dead weekend where I'm like, I think the thing that I enjoy most about Romero is, is that he's interested in telling the story. He doesn't care so much if what he's doing is beautiful or visibly, visually fascinating. And it, they are at times, there are things that he does stylistically that I think appear across all of his films that are interesting, but like he's far more interested in getting the story across. I would, in comic book terms, I think of him as like a John Romita Jr. John Romita Jr. doesn't have a flashy style. He is not drawing like, you know, um, your Jim Lee's, your Todd McFarlane's. And I'm realizing I'm referencing comic book artists from 30 years ago, but like he doesn't have like a flashy style. He's there to tell you the story. That's his main goal. And I feel like that's the same with, with Romero. And I, I dig that. I just, my point is that like, when we meet Martin, like he, he's very vocal towards the women. And then like, whenever we get him into like the upper bedroom of, uh, Kuda's like house, like, and then like, Kuda's like, you're Nosferatu. You got to do all this stuff and you can't speak until spoken to. And then he's like, speak. And then like, it's like, and then he chooses, then we got Martin choosing not to speak. But then later he's very, um, like amicable towards Kuda's granddaughter. It's like, I just, that like, take that, that that does take a second though. Like yeah. when he finally does, because he uh, the guidelines are set by Kuda, his cousin, and this uh, Kuda has a granddaughter, and he's not supposed to speak to her, and uh, rightfully so. He wants to protect the person that is living in his household. He is not allowed to enter Kuda's uh, bedroom, and he is not allowed to even remotely speak to his uh, his granddaughter Christina. So it's like I, I understand I understand all that. But like it seems that Kuda's job is to get 
Martin to the afterlife. Like that's mm-hmm. like, yeah. like that that's pretty much what his job is because he put him he put him in that spot. Too. The beginning's like, like I'm going to redeem your soul and then end you. That's yeah, it's I- like, <laughs> huh? And if you if you go against my will and you do like the things that I don't deem appropriate, I'm gonna kill you anyway. It's like, so I. I Here's my question already, because this is placed in, like, all these rules are put in place about 20 minutes into the film. What's Martin's reason to be there? Yeah, can he just leave? I I don't, see, that's, like, where I think the real problem is with this film, and how it's not really, like, explained to the viewer, like, why is Martin there? What is the reasoning for him to be there? I, but like, and why can't he just walk away? Like Kuda feels his responsibility is to house Martin, right? Yeah. But Martin's like, I was just an indie. I had some train fun. And now I'm in Pittsburgh. Can't I just walk out the door and never coming back? I think that's fair. Yeah. Um. But I, but again, the whole thing is like he keeps going up to Kuda every so often, and be like, "Magic isn't real. This isn't real. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're being ridiculous." But it's like that. But his his um, his level of interactivity and vocalness like changes. Like I'm not saying that I need him. There's there's a weird lack of consistency that is frustrating because when we get to him, uh, we get to Martin working for Kuda's meat market or whatever, um, and making deliveries. It's like he becomes mute again. Like I don't know. It just feels weird to me. Like his his availability. Um, just changes per scene. Well, he really, he really doesn't start talking for a while there. Yeah. Honestly, like I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I didn't hear him talk until. Well, I mean, obviously, we get the the opening sequence of him trying to calm down the chick that he's trying to kill, but he doesn't really talk to anybody until. I, I don't know. Like, I think he's talking to Christina and just like telling her like, no, I like listening to the radio or whatever. It, and it's like yeah. after like all those weird, awkward situations where he's not supposed to be talking to her. And I, I think this is also just like social anxiety too, because he doesn't feel yeah. appreciated by people. That's why he has to give like, him a sedative. I, 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 I get all of that. It's just how oh, like it's very, uh, and I hate okay. to say it. Sorry, Steve. No, go, go ahead, ahead Steve. Steve. No, here, here, here's my take on it is, is that uh, what I inferred from it is, is that uh, Martin at one point talks about how he's very good at what he does, and that's why he hasn't been caught. But if you watch the movie, he's not really that good at it. Sloppy. He's sloppy. You know, and, and I don't know if this is credit to, the, you know, maybe the accuracy of whatever is supposed to be in that syringe or not. But if you watch any movie now, if somebody gets hit with something in a syringe, they're knocked out within 30 seconds. None of the characters that he hits with a syringe are like immediately knocked out. They're they're walking around. They're talking. They're like fighting back They're uh, the, There's a scene later in the film where he injects a, a, a guy who is at a house that he's not expecting to find. And that guy has a good solid, like, I don't know, five minutes of screen time. It's, it's a NyQuil he, PM is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think the idea, what I inferred from is, is that Martin's really not as good as about, about what he does as he thinks he is. I think he's on the run. I think he's maybe not on the run is the best way of using it, but he's like, I need to get out of here and go somewhere else. Uh, because, you know, there's only so many people that I can inject with this syringe and drink their blood and still exist as the way I do. Um, I think that there might also be a, a financial component because it's a it's a weird thing of like, you know, uh, vampire movies are always like, 
oh, well, this, you know, vampire comes from, you know, uh, wealth because they've been around for 200 years or this vampire uh, comes, you know, exists in this community of vampires and they all get by this way or like the financial question never comes up. But here it's like, yeah, how does he like survive the rest of his days? You know, especially since he doesn't have to sleep in the, you know, during the day, he doesn't have to, he has none of the other foibles of an actual vampire. Like, how would he survive? Because he certainly needs food. It's not like there's a dinner scene. We see him eating because he needs to eat. It's not like he, you know, he's like, oh, I want to have blood with dinner. No, I don't remember what they're having at dinner, but like he's having a normal meal. And I think that's. I was going to ask you how you felt lie. about that with the vampire mythology of like when he says to his uh, his I don't know grandniece because that's technically what she is because right. you know and he's like I'm 84. It's like I I believe that Romero didn't change that line in the script because I feel like because he wrote it for an older actor. I like that um, that Martin is like I've been told that I'm ageless. So I'm going to tell you what my my age is. I thought that was cool, but like so, Steve, I'm going to put it on you. Like, what did you think of this idea as a vampire, like, that it has compulsions, but, like, exists in the real world where they have, like, they have to deal with problems of, like, how do you find your victim? How do I subdue them? Like, I, I thought it was cool, but, like, what, what were you, like, like, from what you knew of this movie and what you saw, like, what was your, ex- like, how did you feel about that? So I actually love that this kind of twists the idea of what a vampire is all around. I love the fact that we are never really left with a solid explanation of who Martin is or, or what he really is. If, is he a vampire or is he a kook? Um, I love the idea, too, that it's like, okay, well, all that stuff that you read in books and that are in movies is bullshit. Like, you know, other than the blood, that's really the only thing that makes him technically a vampire. I like that. I like that it's playing with the conventions, you know. I mean, I think the original Dracula with Bella, de G- Bella Lugosi that was made by Universal is 1929, maybe 1931. Um, it's, you know, 40, 50 years before this. Um, and I like the fact that that is such a strong impression that I think that that's implanted on a lot of story films. I mean, even if you look at the, the hammer horror films that come in the sixties and seventies, they're still playing with that very traditional idea of what a vampire is. Here comes Martin and it's like, okay, well, what is a vampire? What if we strip all these things away from it? You know? And, you know, Terry brought up twilight earlier and I kind of chuckled to myself, but I'm like, all right, well maybe I'm not giving that enough credit for at least, trying to give us a different interpretation of what a vampire is. Um, I'm certainly not going to put it in league with Martin. Um, I'm certainly not going to <laughs> Good call. Uh, uh, ever want to. Uh, and my wife loves them. She says she loves them ironically. And I feel bad because like, I never want to shit on somebody for something that they love, but like, I'm sure I've made plenty of derogatory comments about, um, twilight as a series and like if she does genuinely like them she tells me it's because she likes them ironically which is fine either way but i do feel bad because i'm like oh you know if this is something she really enjoys i should just lay off i should (laughs) should not make my jokes about you know edward sparkling or whatever but like at least it's trying something new i like that aspect of this film i like that the that romero is really heading at 
you know, a, he's he's hitting at a, a vampire who isn't a traditional vampire, which, you know, it's tough. You know, you he's already reinvented, you know, the um, with the zombie. He's sort of, you know, reinterpreted that with uh, Night of Living Dead, because previous to the Night of Living Dead, they're all sort of like voodoo and in in uh, cursed sort of people who are being controlled by other people. I think flesh eaters is what they may have actually referred to the the zombies as in Living Dead. With this, he's doing the same thing where he's like, well, let's strip apart what a vampire is and put that question in people's minds. You know, I I don't know that I'm giving you a good answer, but the thing that I like about this movie is, is that it's such a drastic and I don't think we've seen another look at something like this. Like, I, I could be wrong, but like. You know, there's probably somebody out there who's like, well, there's, you know, this many vampire movies that are completely different uh, takes on what a vampire is that, you know, Martin is derived from or whatever. I I could be wrong, but I feel like it's a very original take on what a vampire is. End of sentence. It feels like a ground take. Sorry, Terry. Yeah, no, I... You rose your hand, Terry. Yeah, because we're in the same room, I'm able to do that. Um, So, shut up, Paul. Uh, (laughs) Hey, hey, no, 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 no. Oh, shut up, Paul. No, I don't like that at all. So, so to speak to what you're saying there, too, uh, Steve... I think that he was trying to take some ideas from different directions too, like I, you know, like the flesh eaters thing. Uh, we we had zombie films prior to Night of the Living Dead. They're not the traditional zombies that a lot of people know. Like a lot of people really gravitate towards, like they're actually eating flesh. That's not what the like uh, the the voodoo zombie is, and uh, like white zombie was that traditional zombie take so i think one of the things that george wanted to do with this film is he wanted to like explore maybe the serial killer uh option of like who he is as a like the vampire uh in place um so like elizabeth bathory she used to cover herself in blood yeah she would bathe in it yeah and so it's like Maybe he looked at this kind, especially when in this opening sequence, he's letting the blood flow all over him, too. So it's not just about ingesting the blood. It's about feeling the blood. It's about feeling this intimate situation with the person. Because he has no intimate reactions with people so much until finally, like you were alluding to earlier, um, about two-thirds of the way through the film. Like, he's really feeling human reaction. Um, but like, I think it, it more, more of the connections are built on serial killer, uh, lore and like how they, like they, they feel like blood is connective tissue to the person and how it has some kind of like, um, power. Like they have the power of the blood. Well, that he's taking the thing from them that they can't give anybody else. Right. Cause he's taking their life. Right. So that, I think that's fair. Um, I like, it, so I, I really dig this like take on it where it's like I I have to use tools to do my job to get what I want because even with the dude later when he whenever he stalks the one lady that believes the husband's away and like can I, uh, can, I can I just say that like um I think Steve and I talked about this on the way out to Living Dead weekend one of the things I like about Dawn of the Dead which will come after this 
is that Romero thought about like A to B, like how something would happen. And I know I talk about that being a two and a half hour movie and maybe some of it can be cut out, but there's part of me that also enjoys like, it's like, Oh, we got to find keys to open doors or we're going to make a fake wall in that movie. We're going to think this out to zombie proof it with this. We see Martin stalking around, um, the ladies, like she, he sees that she has a garage door opener. So he goes to a radio shack or whatever and buys like the, the, the remote to open the door. And he goes in to make sure the light bulbs turned. So it can't come on. Like I, and then whenever things turn sideways about this whole, like, um, I don't know, uh, Benny Hill moment of like things turning like upside down this house. There, there's this like the bit of him grabbing the downstairs phone to jam the phone so they Could, can't call out. Well, there's a thing that you're uh, skipping over there. So the humanistic drama that's infused into this is the girl that he was, uh, yes. the girl that he, he was, was targeting, uh, yeah. targeting is cheating on her husband who is out of town, which was Ruben, uh, Rubenstein. That, that was, that was the actor that, <laughs> that's it. So the producers, Richard, Ru- Richard yeah. Rubenstein played that guy who I'm the money man and yeah. I'm out. And, so, uh, uh, yeah, he so was a producer he, for this film. So when Martin catches her with another dude and she's like, I don't know this guy, but the other dude's like, this is all misunderstanding. And he's already got a shot in his arm already. <laughs> At that point, he's like, yeah. he, he, so Martin's like, I love that scene too. In, he's yeah. like, what are you doing here? He's like, who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> but this becomes this whole big cat and mouse thing. And then also like an exercise in like reality. Yeah. And like, I will, I will give Romero like a thousand million praises for what do you do when you're trying to kill somebody and it gets messed up? Like, and he's, he, and he's perfected this stuff too. And again, he said that he perfected it. Like you yeah. can kind of see that on the train because no one hears anything. Nothing happens. No one comes along to check on the girl. Yeah. So this is the first instant that he has to work on his own in Pittsburgh. And it's like, guess what? The chick is cheating on her dude. Yeah. She, he just stabbed that Yenzer and he just wanders all over the house. Yeah. Um, it is, it's fun in, in, a, I mean, it's really creepy, but it's fun in how they're able to explore this house and like the layout. And like, they're really like, they're you, taking you, you advantage of the geography it. of the house. Right. right. So, but Steve, what did you think of that? Like that mid, that's the midpoint of the movie where Martin targets somebody and things absolutely fall apart. Like how did, how did you feel about that? It is one of the, uh, and I think that uh, for younger viewers, it's not something that will resonate with them, but the understanding of how a phone phone works, (laughs) there are multiple phones within the house, I was like, oh, this seems to be going on really long, but then I'm like, no, this is exactly what it was like back in the day if you were trying to make a call and somebody else was on the line. I just didn't buy the noises coming out of the downstairs phone where it sounded like, yeah, Yeah. it's like. It's like, oh, arcade noises, beep, boop, 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 like that, you know, no, no actual uh, dial tone, but I like that because that phone was picked up, they couldn't call out because he was messing with it. That's a smart idea. That's a thought out idea. Like I, that's something that it would never consider, like I wouldn't have considered. And then with him, like, like, like cat and mousing around, leading the, leading the, the dude around until the drugs kick in was effective like that was a cool moment um even after martin gets what he wants how he resets the house and and he also knows that he can't get the woman because the dude was there but leaves her sleeping but resets the house because Mm -hmm. he knows that she can't talk to anybody about this and it's the whole failed experience makes him so uh pissed off about the guy 
So he takes him out yeah. in the like in the woods by the house and stabs him in the neck. Stabs with a tree him in the neck. Yeah. yeah, and you can't tell me that there isn't any type of like um, like homosexual context to that. That like in terms of him drinking out of the dude's neck and, and seeking pleasure. I'm sure Romero was all about like being like, well, how do you guys feel about this now? Like that it's very powerful to me. I'm not saying that as a negative. It's just, that's a very challenging look. No, I, I, I mean, I didn't get that, sorry. but what were you going to oh, say? Sorry. Steve? Sorry. Steve. No, I was, I was just gonna say, I, I didn't get that either, but I don't think that you're um, wrong either. I don't think that what's to say about, I mean, me? Romero built a lot of his career on challenging people's, you know, viewpoints on things, you know? So yeah, I certainly, well, that didn't come out it to me while watching it. Uh, I don't think you're wrong in having that expectation because uh, again, so much of what Romero did was, you know, so- social commentary. Uh, so yeah, you're absolutely right in that. But I also wanted to just give you props, Paul, for coming at this where, you know, Terry and probably more so than myself, you know, Terry is a, uh, you know, dried in the wool, like Romero fan, you know, like, uh, I'm probably have less knowledge than Terry, but we're both big fans of Romero. And the fact that you're also able to come at this critically and be like, yeah, here's the things that I like, but also here are the things that I don't like. Uh, I applaud you for that. Um, because I, I, I think sometimes having uh, not opinions, but having an opposing viewpoint can sometimes be like hard to do when you're in a conversation with three people like we are right now and being like, well, here are the things that hung me up. Um, and I just wanted to say that, you know, I realize that it's mid podcast. I'm like, kudos to you, Paul, where I just said that I should be telling you to stop talking, Paul. No, but, uh, no, no, no. But like, no, like I, I was telling Terry before we started recording, like of the Romero stuff I've seen so far, which is. I've not seen everything. I realized that I like now looking upon his filmography, like I saw he did a couple other different movies. Like before this, he did a romantic comedy. He did uh, some other things that I should maybe check out. Um, like I've seen, I've seen the dead cycle. I, I, well, actually I take that back. I've seen all the dead movies except for survival of the dead. I've not seen his last film. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, and I've seen the crazies, which let's, that's not great. Let's be honest. There's good ideas. Not a great movie. Um, but I also feel like Romero is like an idea man. Um, and like he, I don't think he ever made, went out of his way to make a pretty film. I think he always made, went out of his way to make a film that he's like, this is the story I want to tell. And I think with Martin, I think, I think, um, the, the best thing about this, and, and, and this is what I was telling, I think I was telling Terry about this, um, that he's able to make a movie that exists in the world in which like, he doesn't have to worry about the rest of the details, meaning, when we get to this area of Pittsburgh, we see uh, the junkyard working with all the shit going on. Like, we talk about the Rust Belt. This is the rustiest part of Pittsburgh. It is ugly and gross, and nobody can find a job to the point where Tom Savini sold his mustache to just make ends meet. Like <laughs> it is, it is like it is. It's that seventies part of Pittsburgh where steel left town. What do we do? And that, in its own way, it's, its own kind of wasteland, but. He doesn't have the world build in the sense of like, oh, there's zombies here. What do I got? Like, how do we handle all this? I think, I think it was great for him to be able to shoot in the daylight and shoot traffic moving around and people just living their lives. There must have been something freeing about that where he was able to make this a very small story. And I think there was something liberating about that. And he was very adaptive too. Uh, so like, 
the one thing that he wanted to he wanted that like very uh like uh working class area idea iron city right and he got that because he chose that city for a specific reason it was it was terrible in that spot right there and like uh, of course it was easy to get a hold of those properties to film in too uh to speak towards uh like also trying to adapt they were trying to do one of the scenes in particular where it was just going to be um martin on the porch and like kind of talking to himself and then all of a sudden there was a parade <laughs> yeah just yeah. it randomly there was a parade and you're like Screw it. We can't get the sound that we need to out of this scene. Let's just have Martin walking through the parade, which doesn't make sense thematically, but it's just like it's also Martin being really strange, which he's just a strange character throughout this entire film. And I, I think it's just social anxiety. Well, I also think that, like, with that sequence in particular, which is the very end of the film with like five minutes to go, I think it was showing him to like weirdly coming into himself. And just kind of experiencing life and being like, I can be me. I can do this stuff. Right. Like, we didn't even talk about, like, the uh, AM Coast to Coast radio stuff going on in this, which um, I think is the thread that lines this all up. Because can't you just call a radio station to be anonymous and, and confess your sins? Like, that was really, really cool to me. Yeah. Like, it, I, dug, I dug all of that. It moves his character... Uh, arc a little bit along because he's also getting kind of a kick out of it himself because I don't know if you could hear it through the audio there uh, um, because you guys ended up watching it through YouTube, right? Yes. So Mm -hmm. the, um, the, when he was talking to that, that host, he was listening to himself. Oh no, there was too. the echo because yeah. he had the radio yeah. up. Right. Yeah. Then that's, and typically, hey, if you're if hey, you call hey, into kids, a radio, kids, listen. If you call the radios, turn the radio down because you get that word echo because it, that's what happens. Yes, there's a delay. And it, and it's that that's actually a really good uh, like uh, character building part of this. Martin wants to feel validation, even if it is him hearing himself talking about it. So, like you were saying. You know, we don't get him talking to anybody and he's like a really closed off character and into a certain scene of the movie. And it's like, but it's only when he's feeling validation about who he is as a person. Yeah. So like, I mean, we're podcasters. I don't know. Maybe we're the only ones listening to ourselves, but we do this because we want it. We love it. But Martin also loves what he does. And he's like, he's that person. It's like, I know what I'm doing. And it's like, He's playing with the listener too. Like I might be next door to you as well. Yeah. Spoiler to the the fifteen people listen to us. Yeah, that's it. I get it. That's fine. If you want, <laughs> rate and review. Hey, yeah, rate, I know. Like, I know. Like and subscribe. It's going to be <laughs> Steve King and Keith Sting. Like I get it. It's going to be yes. like you know, like and all this podcast stuff. But no, like Terry, you bring up a good point. Um, so yeah, like when he there's the bit where he gets the phone in the room and he's like, "You don't even understand. This is not what happens." It's like. I get all that. And like the parade scene at the end, it was like, I, Steve, have you watched the music? No, no, we talked to you. Watched the amusement park recently, right? Yes, I did. Like mm-hmm. that was like the most amusement park feeling bit of this at the end where everyone's like, it got a little, like a little aloof and it's just him, like just getting like the flavor of the day. Like you could tell that Romero was experimenting with like this, like let's just go for, um, this looks odd. Let's put this in the kaleidoscope of this character. Right. And that felt very much in line with that. 
Um, well, I think it's, it's interesting, too, because I think, we, you know, the conversation that you and I had, because uh, I wasn't on the episode to talk about uh, the amusement park, but, um, you know, when we you and I were talking about it in the car uh, on the way to Monroeville this past weekend, you know, I said that I can understand how people might, you know, say, uh, oh, it, it feels heavy handed or it feels very uh, much in line with like. 70s filmmaking it feels small or whatever like i i absolutely adored uh the amusement park and i i loved the story that he told with it and yes there are parts where it's like okay it's a little heavy here you know maybe pull back so there's a little bit more subtlety but at the time that he was he was a gun for hire on that job he was he was making something that he was like, well, you want to see the, you know, the awfulness of elderly abuse and how hard it is to exist in our society as an elder. Um, I'm going to show you the awfulness of it. And like, he never pulls back. And I think that's what I admire about it is I'm like, God, I feel awful after watching this. I'm like, it, w- uh, it was, it was a movie that I watched like right before I was supposed to go to bed. And I'm like, I can't end on this now. Yeah. Like I've got to watch something else to get me out of this, this feeling. So you watch um, Schindler's list after that, before you went to bed, just to yeah. kind of feel better about yourself. Yes. Yes. I put on a, a, a video choice. of <laughs> Sarah uh, McLaughlin looked, looking at dogs. Sadly, that's what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was nothing but APL videos after yeah. that. But, uh, uh, and I, I think, you know, going back uh, just a second here when we were talking about, like, the fact that he's supposed to be good at what he does and that whole scene of, like, making sure that the guy basically doesn't have a way to get out. He can't call out. He, he, he basically runs him down until he passes out. You know, I mentioned earlier that I'm like, I don't know that Martin's technically as good at what he does that he thinks that, as he is. But it also brought to mind the fact that one of the things I liked about the original Scream is, is that, like, Ghostface, or you know, both uh, Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard. Spoilers. Right. Uh, yeah, sorry, spoilers for twenty-five-year-old movie. Um, they get the crap kicked out of them as Ghostface. Like, yeah. I love the fact that Ghostface takes a beating. Like, he's never Freddy. He's never Jason. He's never like competently always able to take somebody out. And I, I got that feeling with this, where I'm like, I like the fact that Martin. For as good as he thinks he is, he he's really got a lot of things that he's got to figure out on the fly and a lot of things that he needs to take care of. And I, I realize that I'm edging this in as we're ending toward edging towards the end of the, the film. But like uh, I like the fact that so much of it feels like him problem solving or trying to figure out uh, how to take care of things that were unexpected within the film. too. Oh, which it's it's, it's messy feels, and I appreciate that. Yeah. So. Uh, let me put this to you guys. This is something I just, I was trying to find a way to kind of like, like say it. Uh, Cause we've not talked about uh Miss Santini who was like, uh, you know, doing the, um, the graduate thing to Martin. Um, we've not really even gotten to Tom Savini as a guy who doesn't have a mustache. There, there's actually really yeah. a lot to discuss in this film. And I, yeah. I, I feel like almost like the, I, you know, we're running long on the format of your guys' episode. <laughs> what? what? For For us, we're lo- no, running long. No, we, have, a, we have a half hour to go, Terry. Just, yeah, so no, let's keep on trucking. No, it's they're, fine. They're, I mean, they're not important. Well, I guess uh, uh, Miss uh, Santini, Mrs. Santini, uh, is an important character for the arc of this. Um, yeah. And Tom Salvini's character of Arthur is kind of important because of Christina. Uh, but, like, 
Well, there's a theme of like a means to an end. Right. That's what I was going to mention too, because like everybody's trying to find their way out and like the this destitute area. Well, you know? yeah, like, you know, with, with Savini where he's like, if I could only do this and he wants to leave and he's dating, um, what is it? Kuda's, Christina. Yeah. Christina. And then she even says like at the end, she's like, I'm not going to end up with him, but he's the way out of here. Right. Like that was heavy. And then uh, Miss Santini, where it's like, my husband doesn't care anymore. I would love that. She mentions to Martin, she's like, I love that you don't have opinions. I love that you don't care. I wish you can give that to me. And how she goes out. And like, and Martin has his own like way out. Like, everybody, nobody wants to be where they're at. Everybody is upset and they want to find a way out. And then, like, I think that speaks to something about like that weird, like, Pittsburgh's not a small town, but there's that weird, like, this sucks. I need out. Right. Like, and there's that, that you're um, locked into your purpose. Yeah. And it's like that, that really got to me with everybody. It's like, we need to do better for ourselves, especially whenever, uh, Christina was telling Martin, she's like, I'll remember you. And he's like, you won't like the moment you get out and break this weird gravity, you'll never talk to me again. And that's the underlying thing that I think that needs to be focused on a lot more in this film. So if anybody's watching this or, uh, you know, this film or, uh, you know, listening to this podcast now, those really are the story arcs that like kind of move along these characters. It's all human. Yeah. yeah it, they're very, they're like all of them are written very human. And like, I think that's like the thing that I appreciated about George Romero and uh, Stephen King, honestly, too, because uh, they're very similar in the writing of human characters. Oh, thank you. <laughs> they're, they're very human or how they write characters and very human how they make sandwiches <laughs> uh, but you know it's like i appreciated what he was doing with this film I, I don't know if it was the clearest message for the viewer um sometimes it got a little muddy but you know the christina like i understand her her story arc a little bit more especially upon like multiple viewings of this film if you just digest this as a first, like the first viewing and being like, I get it. It's a little weird. Watch it again, because I think that you'll get a lot more substance out of it. And I, I can appreciate the, the, uh, this, um, please forgive the way I want to describe this. The woman that sees the man as the way out of the situation that she's in. It's strange, but it, it, that's she, how it worked. It's like, she likes, uh, Savini's mustacheless character enough. Just as a means to an end. And she's like, I don't know where we're going to go, but it's not Braddock, Pennsylvania. We're out. Like, and and we, we see her having arguments with Arthur yeah. on the phone and everything. I don't, I don't, I didn't question where you were supposed to be, whatever. Like, it's like all these kind of like, you, you see that there's a seed planted of like, maybe he's not the best dude. Yeah. But you know, like she has no other options here. And like, to it's be- all about using a me- Like again, she's going to use him to get out. And right. it's like, everybody is like, with the exception of Akuda, which I mean, he has his own business. <laughs> yeah. It's the own business, and it's right? booming. Like people are yeah. waiting outside the yeah, door. That's fair. Um, I guess he views himself as self important, but it's like, everybody's using each other, which in a way is kind of like sucking the life out of one another, which I mean, look at, look at metaphor. Um, like, I, I don't know. There's just so much going on in this that, like, um, I don't even want to talk about the ending because the ending is so sudden and abrupt. I respect it. I don't want to ruin that from anybody. Watch this on YouTube. We'll, we'll link it. It's, like, during the week. Watch this film. It's an hour and a half. It's brutal, but I don't want to ruin the ending. 
Um, I just think this is something worthy of watching, and I think there's a lot of commentary here, and I think it's I think it's definitely worth watching. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know. Like it's just like I was telling Terry, I was telling sorry Steve, I was telling Terry before we started recording, this might be my favorite Romero film so far. Because oh well yeah yeah I I, uh, I don't know where it's going to rank for me because uh, you know first watch was yesterday um, you know I'm also the guy who's still championing uh, Land of the Dead uh, which uh, people hey. don't dislike as much as say Diary or Survival but like I'm still like this movie's amazing and why aren't more people talking about it so I, I would never challenge your uh, well, you, you know get, take on this, this is my favorite chewing the scenery in that like you can't that's I mean that's a that's a and, fun film and who knows I've never seen there's always vanilla maybe I'm going to watch that at some point and be like this is amazing why aren't more people talking about it yeah. so I would never like you know discourage you for picking this as your favorite or season you know, of the Arrow witch film. I've never seen season of the witch like those are some early Romero I've not seen so yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we all can have our favorites, you know, that's, that's, what's great about his career is it's very varied. It's very varied. It's varied. It's it's very varied. (laughs) You know, yes, it's horror heavy in a lot of ways. And I do wonder like, you know, if there were other projects that he wanted to do that were completely unrelated to what he he did get made. And I'm sure there were, you know, I, I, I wonder you know what what Romero might have gotten to the table had he not struggled those first 10 years or not fought with the Hollywood system you know uh at the same time I I can't help but thinking you know we talked about this at the beginning of the discussion where you know he's got 10 years between you know Night of Living Dead and Dawn you know where he was bankrupt a lot of time because of what happened with Dawn I think about like how Kevin Smith has always talked about the fact that like if clerks isn't a hit, he's still working at the convenience store right now, trying to pay off his yeah. credit card debt, you know? And I admire that so much about Romero knowing that like, you know, he kept going, he kept trying to make that next thing happen. Um, and it eventually works out for him, but there are times within his career where it ebbs and flows as well. Um, and I think that he's just a ridiculously good storyteller and, you know, one of the key things that he does is, is that he brings people around him who are good at what they do as well. And I think it makes not only the film shine, but it, it brings that much more luster to the story he's trying to tell. He trusts the people he's working with to tell the story he wants to get across. Well, I mean, if we could go back in time and get him a cinematographer and an editor, I think we'd be, that'd be top notch. We'd be good. Well, he was pulling like quadruple no, duty. For sure. You know, this, 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 I know they talked about this being 250,000, but they said it was closer to a hundred thousand. Like this is the epitome of like indie filmmaking. Like I get it. Like, like considering that the, how much this didn't cost this being a complete film that raises it in my mind more of like, Oh my gosh, you got so much on the screen for how little you paid for it. Like there, there is something to be said there. Well, and he passed off the duties to people that he just kind of found. So, uh, you know, we were talking about Tom Slavini, Tom Slavini came to him and he said, dude, I want to work with you. I don't, what do I need to do? And Tom Slavini already was dabbling in makeup and everything. And he, he was in productions in the, uh, the Pittsburgh area, and he, so, like, George already had seen him at work being an actor in that. He wanted to go for... He actually went for the role 
of Martin, and it was already casted as Ambrose or uh, Ambrose. And like that was already done. So he's like, well, I got a different role for you. You can be this guy. You can be Arthur, but you can help me with the rest of the, the production. Shit, of this your goatee. Sorry, Terry, can I ask you a quick question here? And sure. just no, see no. This? Okay, ask Terry. It's fine. It's fine. No, no, no. I, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm only kidding. asking him because I, I feel like he knows more about Romero's filmography and his relationship with Savini. Well, that's, that, that's accurate. I'll allow it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I get a sense from in, in listening to Savini talk. Uh, I, I feel like. He wanted to be an actor who did special effects as opposed to a special effects guy who wanted to be an actor. Like, I, I, I get the sense from him that, like, he he knows he's good at special effects, so that's the thing that he doesn't... What's the word I'm looking for? And I'm not saying focus on, because I, he takes pride in that stuff. I know that he, he named his son after Lon Chaney Jr. Like, I, I, I know that aspect of him, but I feel like... There's a part of him where he's like, yeah, I'm good at this special effects stuff and I'm, you know, doing all this amazing stuff, but I want to be known as an actor. And I don't mean that to be derogatory towards him, but I feel like it's this thing where, like, he's far more willing to take accolades for his acting than he is the special effects. And I could be wrong on that. And that's why I'm asking you, do you feel like he feels like he's an actor who never got the notice that he should have? Well, I think he feels typecasted nowadays because, you know, he did cut his teeth on being an actor. Like he was in a lot of productions when he was in college and that um, when he was he, he went to Vietnam and he was a photographer. And that's actually why he has so much knowledge of the camera and of like makeup, really. Mm-hmm. So like he took all of that with him. But like having those um, having all that uh like love and affiliation with like old film and stage. He really did appreciate what Lon Chaney junior or Lon Chaney, the senior actually was doing like being the man of a thousand faces. Like that's one of his favorite uh, movies. It's like, it's like a documentary about him, uh, an autobiography really. And he really appreciated Lon Chaney and how he could be not only the actor, but do his own makeup. And like, he always wanted to have that in his back pocket. And, like, you know, having all these, like, uh, you know, behind the scenes footage and, like, documentaries done about uh, horror films and that, those are the things that, like, make me appreciate him that much more because he didn't want to be a one trick pony. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, to be, like, to have that kind of talent within the area for George Romero, like, that's a hell of a thing too, man. Like think about that in that kind of context. If he wouldn't have had Slavini, I don't know if we had ever had such amazing effects or even mm-hmm. like maybe the push that was the rest of those films, you know, because again, George was able to surround himself with talent, but Slavini was a cut above really. Yeah. It's just, it, it seems interesting to me in like interviews where he's like, sometimes it, it feels like he's like, yeah, I'm amazing at this, but I can also do this. And it just makes me sad. Cause it's like, you know, I, I don't want him to, you know, feel like people aren't noticing the acting or whatever, because I, I think that it's the first thing that people get drawn into. It's like an actor who gets typecast in a way where it's like, uh, you know, Leonard Nimoy is like, well, I'm also a great director. Have you seen Three, three Men and a Baby? baby. No. <laughs> Have you seen Three Men and a Little Lady? I directed that too. But I'm, I'm making a joke here. But like, you know, 
no, so, Nimoy wrestled with the character of Spock throughout yeah. his entire career. And I feel like Savini is kind of in that light, too, because he's like, I'm also a director. I'm also a stuntman. I'm also an actor. And I, I do feel like if some at some point, even though he loves the special effects, it's a thing that he kind of gets the most noticed for. So sometimes it's like not grating because you're always happy to, to find out that, you know, Hey, something I did reached people. I, I, I imagine that, you know, gives him, you know, just as much joy as it would anyone else who, who does anything that you hope that reaches another human being. I don't know what that's. No, but if like, it means anything, has, Steve, the one time I, I interacted with Savini was a wasteland. He, uh, I went up to his table and the one thing I had to have him sign was him being sex machine and from dust till dawn. And I was like, I, I, I love this movie. Please. Like I, and he's like, yeah, anytime it's on, I just watch it. Like I had him yeah. sign a picture of him with his gun dick. And he was like, he was in the he, sex machines, a great character. So like, I don't know, like I get it. Like, but it's like, I, I just, yeah, I get that feeling from him though, that like, he's, he's like, yeah, like I did this, but what about all this other stuff too? And I, yeah. and I don't mean that to be shitty or derogatory. Please don't take it that way. I just feel like he's a guy who has these other talents and he's like, I wish I was known a little bit more for these other than being the guy who, you know, uh, did these special effects. Which, and which I is funny, which I'm, I'm, I'm cutting you off right now. If, if, if and when you ever watch Knight Riders, he plays a character that aspires for something bigger and ends mm-hmm. up like going to the commercial side of things. And he realizes that like that doesn't lead to like satisfaction. So it's interesting that he would play that character and then kind of come back to the group that's doing the thing that they do and realizes like, it's what we do. It's more important versus like, like the fame. Like, I don't yeah. know. Like, have you, Terry, you seen Night Riders? I have not yet. Um, I, well, I, I own it. It's like, it's like seven hours long. I'm surprised I together. haven't at this point. It's a, it's a weird movie. Yeah. Um, and it's like, like motorcycle combat, like with Ed Harris. I don't know. Um, it, it's yeah, it's it's right after Creep Show, right? Some, yeah, it's around that. It's just, yeah, it's it's another Romero film. Uh, you have Stephen King, um, not you, uh, and a crowd like yelling shit at people doing a Renaissance fair, but based on motorcycles. Like um, it's, it's very interesting, but it's also very weird. But yeah, yeah. So to, to, so to uh, kind of en- encapsulate what I was saying earlier, though, like. He started off the like the, the biz for a lot of these people. Richard Rubenstein, like I mean, he had an illustrious career after this fact. You know, working with uh, with George, like that kind of like was takeoff period for him. Um, Michael Cornick, who was also at the convention that we were just recently uh, were at, like he's an amazing amazing um, uh, you know cinematographer. He first held a camera because of this movie. George was like, "Hey, you want to do this?" puts the camera in his hand and starts shooting sh- shots. Like if it wasn't for that kind of like person who would have entrusted people on just a, to do a it, project. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if George would have had it his way, um, Greg Nicotero would have worked on a uh, uh, creep show and he, Nicotero was in a, a college. So he said, I can't do it, but he sees the talent. He yeah. sees, he sees it in those people. He sees the passion and he puts them on the set, and he puts them in action. And guess what? We have stars that are like making like in influences all over Hollywood, and that and, like they're getting hired for all these different That's things. Fair. So I mean, like he knew what he needed to have, you know, for the action. <laughs> you yeah. know, 
Yeah, and I apologize. I didn't mean to derail the conversation. I was just curious <laughs> as to see if anyone else had that feeling. Just in watching many interviews with with Savini and you know uh, seeing him at conventions, it, it does feel like uh, it's it's like yeah, I did this, but what about this? Yeah, you know? and, and, and it's it's a bummer because people get kind of like pigeonholed for a certain thing. You know, a lot of celebrities will get that, especially like in the things that we appreciate and we go, we visit these cons and everything and be like, I've been in like 120 different things, you know, like uh, talking to Miguel uh, Nunes. He was in uh, episodes of the 1986 uh, rendition of Twilight Zone. And I asked him about that. Everybody always like refers to his uh, Friday the 13th part five, you know. Mm-hmm. appearance and then his return of the living dead appearance and he's, Hell, he's in a eddie murphy movie for god's sake he's like, in like four you know, of them yeah <laughs> yeah so like i mean you know so i, I get where, where tom salvini has like frustrations and that and you know but he also doesn't like to have just like one-on-one conversations with people so like you yeah. have here been con- no, like, I, I felt awkward when i was like here's 20 dollars <laughs> sign your dick you know whatever i know it's like <laughs> You know, like, and I don't know that he necessarily has that. It's just something that I picked up. So I was curious if it was something that I was just vibing on, or if it's something that it's like, yeah, I think you're kind of way off base here, Steve. So that's so, that's why I asked. The question. To re- I, I don't know if we we didn't even get into like, there's other aspects to Martin, yeah. that we've not gotten into, and that's fine. People need to discover this movie. Um, like, it's on YouTube. It's an hour and a half. It's worth your time. It's it's an interesting watch. It's a different take on the vampire mythos. Um, it has a banger of an ending. Like it is. Yeah, sorry. I, no, I was just gonna say I'm glad that we're not giving away the ending. Yeah. I, I I don't know if you feel that same way, Steve, but I think this ending is probably for the viewer. Like let's yeah. let, let's give it to them. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. how I will so, hold up the last shot of Zoltan, the Hound Dracula. Yeah, you need to earn it. You need to watch that movie. I'm not telling you that last shot. But it's amazing. And this just ends like I was like when I was looking at the YouTube video, I'm like, well, this is almost done. What's going on? Oh God. Like what's one of those moments of like, all right, here we go. This is what we're doing. And respect to this movie, not not every movie does that anymore, where it's like, we're out. Like, I don't need a 15 minute denouement. Like, just just in the movie. Like, and this one does it. And it pays everything pays off, which is, sorry, Steve, go ahead, please. No, I was just going to say that I was disappointed that there wasn't a end credit scene for Martin too. uh, Yeah. Martin as well. Um, no, just Martins, you know, no, um, no, more Martin, Martin, yeah, uh, yeah, T with a Z Martins. Um, no, this just, it just like, I don't know. Like I respect films are like, here's your ending. God damn, we're out. Like, just screw you. We're out. This doesn't. And it's like, oh, like Romero doesn't overstay his welcome in terms of the endings. Like the films might run along, but when he gets to the actual ending, like I think of Donald the Dead, I think of the crazies. It's like, we're out. We're done. We're done. We're done here. Like, I, I like do not living dead. Last- we're done. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. We're done, but I have one last thing I wanted to say is, uh, and this goes back to what Terry was saying uh, earlier about just like the sadness that he felt about when Romero passed. Um, I will say that to the joys of watching both this and the amusement park is when Romero shows up as an actor. Yeah. Um, 
Because it's just like, oh, there he is, and he's young, and he's vibrant, and, and he like he's got wine. his whole life ahead of him, and like it, it's just that thing of like, oh man, like it, it. This is a guy who is going to become increasingly more important to me the older that I get. Like I, I, I'm not somebody who was raised on Romero. I think I came to him somewhere in my twenties, and so I've only spent the last twenty years with him. Now, granted, I saw the night. Night of the Living Dead remake, I think, in the theater on a date before I saw the original. So, oh wow, uh, it, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I I came to Romero later in my life uh, with, you know, uh, the same with a lot of horror where I'm like, oh yeah, this is a thing that I really liked when I was younger, or um, let's explore more of this. And I found that I'm like, oh, there's these other subsections of horror that I need to explore. Um, that said, when he shows up as as the uh, reverend in this or the um, yeah, father Howard father. Yes. Thank you. I was trying to think of the correct, like uh, religious term father. God, man. Uh, just say God, man. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> man. Of First the I did. No, God, man, I did fine. think of for some reason, father uh, Guido Sarducci. <laughs> Cause like he's both smoking and like, yeah. you know, doing his whole shtick about, you know, God or whatever. And you, you uh, can sponsor a tree. You can get your Christmas tree. Here, like, do you remember yeah. the? <laughs> we'll send but we'll I, send you a card from your Christmas tweet. Like, yeah, yeah. But I enjoyed that. But it's also like you know he he's got like maybe ten seconds in Dawn of the Dead where he pops up. He's a voice, I think, in uh, Day of the Dead and possibly Land of the Dead over like a radio. So it's like he doesn't have these moments in his later films where I'm like, oh, there he is, like. You know, at a, as a young man, um, you know, as a as a father in this film, and it just it put a big smile on my face. And even when he shows up as the asshole at the bumper cars in uh, the amusement park, it, it put a smile on my face. I, which so. spoiler, I didn't realize that was him. That was the jerk. Well, he was also in Night of the Living Dead as a reporter. But no, so. we talked about the amusement park. Oh, that's right. He's outside of Washington, right? Yeah. Yep. And I didn't realize that yeah. was him being the jerk that signaled. Like was that him? okay? That was him that yep. signaled the bumper cars, right? So, um, yeah, that's on me. So no, Martin's a really cool film. Uh, it's rough around the edges, and it's a rough watch in terms of content. Um, I respect it. It's a different pale boy mythos for pale boy summer. Um, I like that it can be take it or leave it of like is Martin a vampire or not? That's my wheelhouse of like give me enough either way, and that's a like. That's a much more satisfying watch for me than leaning too hard one direction or the other with some of this. Like, like I've mentioned before, one of my favorite um, haunted house movies is Session Nine. Um, that gives you enough for both. Like, is it real or not? I dig that. Like, the thing gives you the greatest fu ending ever, right? Like, love the thing. Yeah. And so with this, it's like this one, like. It hit a lot of buttons for me. I'm like, I dig this. It's, it's like, there, there, there. Do I have nitpicks? Sure. Um, when this becomes more affordable, like on home release, one day, I think I'm going to pick it up. I dig this a lot. So far of the Romero things I have seen, I, I just think this was him not beholden to anything and doing his own thing. Like after, like he revitalized zombies and kind of like, like, let's be honest, he crystallized what they are. Um, this is him like trying to take a different, like a different horror element. And like, this is one of those things that I feel like is ripe for like a proper remake. Like 
you could handle this well and do an interesting job with it. And, and I'm not saying that most movies need to be remade and this one's pretty interesting, but I would, I would be interested in like a well-handled remake of Martin. There are documented serial killers that done have done this thing, like exactly yeah. what's going on in this film. Even if so, you said it at the same time, if you did like an updated right. remake at the same time, that'd be, Oh my goodness. Like, um, yeah. Like if you got freaking, what's his name? Um, I was trying to think of like, who would be a good, Standing for Martin now. Um, uh, everybody I think is a little older, but like, um, oh, what's his name? Um, a pretty boy guy that played, um, oh, he was in Neighbors. He was in, he played um, Ted Bundy. Zach Afron? Yeah. Like, how, like, get him to not eat a sand, like, just calm, like, like, be thinner and be a little younger. Like, think about that. Like, that well, would after be. After playing Ted Bundy, I don't know if that's an option at that's this point. That's fair. But so you, I, you're talking like, you get like that kind of like, Mm. That kind of character. Yeah, or, I, I get what you're saying. Or like, uh, have you guys seen Stranger Things? What about like um, the older brother? Yeah, that like, that could work. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Like he would be really good in this. Like, yeah, as long as he's not like you know getting picked up for drug abuse and that. Cause yeah, well, okay, he, fair he has enough. charges and well needles. No, but mm-hmm. like he played a cannonball in the the New Mutants, and it's like that dude. That's the older brother of um, Wolf Wolf. Um, What's his name? Uh, Finn Wolfhard. Mm. He's the older brother, right? That we're talking about him. Like, anyway. Um, no, I see. I see what you're saying. Like that. There's there's a lot here. But even if this movie was never redone, like I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It, and, it, it shows what independent cinema can be. Yeah, for sure. And so. it's like and, and like discovering talent too, because I I think Ambulus. Uh, John Ambulus is a great uh, actor, and we didn't even discuss what he was in otherwise. Like he was in uh, the uh, Father's Day uh, segment of uh, a creep, creep show. show. He was in Day of the Dead. He got his cake. Yeah. You know, it's like he's a terrific actor. He was the casting director for Dawn of the Dead. Yes. Like, like how how that work? It's like, hey, you, you have a bike? Come on in. Like, what was that all about? And, and he was in the first opening sequence of the film, too. Like, well, oh. the first 10 yeah. minutes of it, rather. He gets killed pretty quickly in a, like a <laughs> siege of this apartment complex. But, yeah, like, he, he's a terrific guy. And honestly, if anybody ever gets a chance to meet John Ambles, awesome dude. Yeah. Really wonderful guy. He has, he, has, he has so much heart. And, like, I mean, he does so many cons, but, like, he's still down to earth. But he's worn hat, many hats. Like, whenever... My wife had met him for like we we had a creep show like one sheet, and he looked at my wife. And he's like, "I got my cake," and it just delighted her. It's like mm. that's wonderful, right? But if you look at his IMDb, his IMDb photo is as him as the zombie guy from yep. Creep Show. So you don't know his face, but he got his cake. Yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling. I'm rambling about um you know yeah. what's his name um the guy we talked about John Amblin. That's not his name. John, John Amplis. I'm rambling about Amplis. That's what's going on. So anyway, Martin, interesting film. Um, watch it. It's on YouTube. Um, I think this was like Steve, like the first time watch, like the pretty cool film, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think I, I like the ideas more than I do. Um, maybe some of other, some of, I, I'm trying to put it in perspective. Like it's really hard to put it up against the, like something like creep show, which, you know, um, that's one of the few Romero films that I do have from childhood where I'm like, I have very specific memories of watching that. And I don't think that, you know, like I said, I didn't really come to Romero as a filmmaker until my, my early twenties or mid twenties. 
But like Creepshow, I knew. Like I grew up with that movie, so it's like it's hard for me to like try and place this within the movies that I like and in love of Romero. Um, but wow. Um, I, I, I don't know where to place it, but yeah, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's free on YouTube. Like, yes. And at, at the worst, like you're going to be like, yeah, I didn't like it, but it was an hour and a half and it was free on YouTube. Like, I don't know. Like, I really love this. I, I want to delve more into, and I'm trying to, to extend the conversation. I love the ideas behind the film. I yes. love the execution of the film. You, you could do worse. I, I think you, you should go watch, check it out. You could watch The Velocipaster. You could do worse. Anyway, so. Oh, my God, yeah. If you're <laughs> like, do I watch The Velocipaster or this? Mm-hmm. Watch Martin. Actually, yeah. if you're if you're like, what can I watch that's new and it's just a take on vampires? Watch Martin. Like, yep. Uh, yeah, I, I I really didn't really I, I didn't really uh, go into what I loved about the film. But, yes, I did enjoy the movie. It's just it's hard having just experienced it a day ago and trying to place it within what I have seen of Romero. That's fair. So. All right, everybody, go watch Martin. I'm sure um, one of us will link the free um, YouTube uh, link. Um, I'm going to put that on Steve because I'm going to be terrible. At it. I'll try my best. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, go watch it. It's it's available on YouTube. There's, like, there's a good rip of it. Uh, it's an interesting film. I think it's worth your time. I think it's uh, wonderful to watch verse in Pale Boy Summer, right? <laughs> this thing that we're now doing. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it just kind of just happened. Um, so yeah, you guys can let us know on our Facebook page, invasion of the podcast, what you thought about the film. Um, you know, if you liked it, didn't like it, or if there's other vampire films for us to check out, that'd be great. You can email us directly to invading podcast, gmail.com, uh, wherever you find us, rate review us as a podcast. That'd be greatly appreciated. And Steve, where can people find you doing things that you do? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. And you can also find me on Etsy if you want to buy a copy of our comic at The Art of the Slash. Wonderful. And Terry, we do a thing too. Tell, tell everybody about that. So, uh, Paul and I have a. Uh a uh, podcast called Strange Highways. Yeah, I cheat on Steve all the time. <laughs> we have a, a, that podcast where we uh, talk about Twilight Zone uh, in in sequence from the original episodes on. Uh, we're about to finish off the uh, fifth season here soon. Um, please go over and check us out over there on uh, tra- uh, Strange Highways. We are on Facebook as well and Instagram. So find us on those. Uh, like, review pyramid scheme your friends into <laughs> liking it um I, I love our podcast i love what you guys do but that's actually what got me interested in being on our podcast so thank you so much for having me as a guest and i like the terry's like listen i know you guys talk for three hours but if we could do that for half the time i'm like we got it, we got it. <laughs> i gotta go to sleep dude <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah i appreciate if uh, i could be half as drunk and talk less of the time that'd be great i appreciate what you guys do here and i i really appreciate being a, a guest on here and you know, I had a lot of fun with uh, Bloodsport way back in the day, and it's I'm I'm excited to Bloodsport find... was a good call. That was a fun movie. I'd never seen it before. That was a lot of fun. And now yeah. we're talking about different blood. And uh, so, yeah, thank you so much for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it and love you guys.
All right. So I want to toss out here before we get to uh, the game to round out the show. Uh, while we're at Living in a Weekend, I bought uh, like three uh, shadow boxes that were really, 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 really cool. Uh, they were the, the spines look like VHS releases and you look at the shadow box. It's like a 3D representation of cover art from different movies. Amazing. The gentleman that does this, he's on Instagram. It's called Curious Goods, all one word, 666. Like, uh, Steve and Terry can testify that when we go to different uh, cons, we see a lot of the same. What this guy was offering is different, and he he earned the money that I gave him. So everybody check that out. Has a lot of cool shit. Curious Goods 666 on Instagram. Badass product, man. Like I I I I really enjoyed him. Uh, I I'm I'm ashamed that I didn't get to look at his any of his stuff because I have no more room. Well, that, yeah, that's fair or money, right? So um, I got three shadow boxes and I uh, got Steve a little, little uh, tiny framed art of the Evil Dead Japanese release where it's like that crazy poster. It was a lot of fun. So there yeah, it's awesome. You guys check them out. All right. So, all right, that's going to do it uh, for that discussion. Let's just get into uh, the game of what, what did you call it? Can you bring it on an airplane? That's not what, what called. can I bring? What can I bring? Time to play the game. game. Alright, so tonight's game is just basically formed out of my recent trip to Texas. Uh, Being in the pre, no, post-COVID world, which I don't think we're technically past it yet, but whatever. Uh, I wanted to look and see if there were things that I needed to know about what I could bring on an airplane. Uh, That basically opened up a rabbit hole that I fell down, in which I found myself looking at all the different things that people asked whether or not they could bring them on a plane. So my my simple question to you guys is, is I'm going to give you items here. You're going to tell me can you bring them onto an airplane? Either it be a carry-on or via packed luggage. So okay. the first one here, uh, antlers. Can you bring those on a plane? Yes, but you got to put them in um, like with the carry-ons. Well, it's funny. It was listed for both. You could do it whether it's a carry-on or packed luggage. So if any of you out there have antlers you want to bring on a plane, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, next one here, artificial skeleton bones. I'm assuming that's like plastic or, you know, foam latex, foam latex. I don't know what an artificial skeleton bone is technically, but can you bring that on a plane? I'm going to say that you, you, you have to put that in a packed material. You can't put that as your carry on. What's interesting is, is it just says yes. And they didn't have any other information on it. (laughs) So apparently you can put it in your carry-on, you can put it in your bag. Trick question. Yeah. Uh, So how about bear spray? And I don't know if this is like a deodorant for bears or like, you know, bear mace. It's a mace. It's bear mace. Um, Yeah. It's not a carry-on. You have to pack that away. Yeah, it's a weapon. I'm showing that you can't bring it on either. Oh. So, uh, which I thought was weird. But so does it mean you have to eat the whole thing before you put it on the plane? You're like, I got it. has got to hit yourself <laughs> multiple times with the bear spray before you get on the plane. So what about if you want to bring a blender on the plane? Can you bring that? Um, you have to pack that away. So here's the funny thing is it says you can bring it out as a carry on, but you have to remove the blades. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is not make it a blender. Right. Yeah. And where do the blades go? 
I don't know. I guess in your packed luggage, like your, your that checked feels, bag. That feels like like some utensil ninja stars to me. Oh, <laughs> well, it's interesting you bring that up. Maybe the, those are going to pop up on the list. The, this um, is like a between the lines kind of thing. If it's a sharp blade, you yeah. can't bring it on. I guess so, but also like. Who's bringing a blender on a plane? Like, I just... I don't know. I like margaritas. We gotta get some margs. There you (laughs) go. That's fair. Well, this next one uh, you you may uh, also like as well. Can you bring creamy dips and spreads on a plane? (laughs) (laughs) No, because they they want you to buy the things, like, on the plane itself, right? So what's interesting is, is if you're planning on bringing your creamy dips and spreads <laughs> on the plane, uh, it could be uh, put in your uh, checked baggage, or if it's on a carry-on, it's got to be uh, 3.4 ounces mm-hmm. or less. So they don't want you eating it, more It operates that. the same level of shampoo. I had a feeling, yeah. <laughs> so this next one is definitely up, uh, you know, a living dead sort of uh, scenario here. Can you bring cremated remains onto a plane no because you can't transport them uh over state lines without a um like some kind of like documentation or something so here's the thing it says yes but it says special instructions are uh required for carry-on some airlines do not allow cremated remains in checked bags so please check with your airline to to learn more about possible restrictions <laughs> to facilitate screening we suggest that you purchase a temporary or permanent crematory container made of a lighter weight ma- material such as wood or plastic if the container is made of a material that generates an opaque I- image tsa officers will not be able to officers will not be able to clearly identify what is inside the container and the container will not be allowed out of respect for the deceased TSA officers will not open a container even if requested by the passenger. <laughs> like, so what you're saying is like, what if I got like like a two liter bottle of Sprite and just dumped like it's 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 opaque, it's transparent enough, right? Grandma's in here, I promise you guys. It's and she grandma. loves Lyman. You know. Anyway. <laughs> oh my god. So this next one here, uh, what about dry ice? Have you ever thought about bringing that on a plane? That's dangerous as get out. I well, it's, yeah. it is a dangerous material like by hazmat because uh, I work in a, a warehouse where we transport, not transport, but we ship hazardous material. It, it has a UN number, so I don't think you can take it on the plane at all. So here's the weird thing. TSA says, yes, you can bring it, but the FAA limits you to 5.5 pounds of dry ice that is properly packaged in a package that is vented and marked. Airline approval is required. Who who's taking dry ice on a plane like I I don't know. I just think that's so crazy that like somebody uh, would want to take dry ice on a plane. And you you're right, Terry. I would think that would be one that you're like, no, why? <laughs> it's a it's a material that is non natural. I guess might be the best way of putting it. But I I don't know. Again, I, it has a, a UN number, so it's 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 controlled. So it's a yeah. substance like that. A lot of places won't let us ship at my, the company I work at. Mm-hmm. Uh, through air so you know like i i guess i'm wrong and right so I don't know. <laughs> yeah so my my previous job i worked with a lot of hazardous materials and i had to be uh trained in order to get certifications in order for what can be shipped and what can't and what specific guidelines are are used but i would have immediately thought dry ice no but 
TSA, I guess, is saying it okay. The airline may say it otherwise. Huh. Well, speaking so. of like hazardous materials, what about dead ass? Can you put that ass on a plane? Can you do that? I mean, you can put dead ass anywhere, but if it's me, it's probably going to require like a, you know, uh, an additional seat. Uh, seat <laughs> that dead ass might have a UN number too. I just, so I don't, know, <laughs> just I don't asking know. about that ass. All right, so this next one here is pretty interesting. How about English Christmas crackers? Can those go on a plane? No, because F the British. What? Yeah, I have no clue what's in English Christmas crackers, but the answer was no. The white, white oppression. That's what what's in there. The <laughs> what is an English Christmas cracker? I just need to. No, no, no. You answer the question. It's English Christmas cracker it's why is all, it it's the whitest thing known to man we could it's take right. dry ice on a freaking plane what the hell is <laughs> prohibiting us to take an english christmas cracker i'm wondering if there's some sort of like fruit gel in them or something i didn't look it up because i was just like i don't want to know what's in an english christmas cracker but i just know i can't take them on planes <laughs> You're doing the hard-hitting work here, man. Thank, I, you, thank you for asking the hard questions. Yeah, because I was thinking about taking all of this to Vegas when I go next time. Yes. <laughs> all right. How about... <laughs> this is amazing. How about gravy? Gravy? <laughs> <Can you take laughs> gravy? <laughs> um, I'm going to put that on Terry. Like, Come on. I... Just because of all these other responses, I'm going to say no. I'm, you can't take gravy. I'm going to say you're so, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you you can take gravy. <laughs> However, if it's carry-on, again, it's got to be 3.4 ounces. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I have these biscuits and my carry-on <laughs> gravy. Like I, I, I just I had to have I had to have the kernel before I got on here. Like <laughs> I was looking for an in-flight snack, and I heard no, that you guys no, on Spirit um, won't allow no, it. No, uh, Kyle Kinane has a wonderful bit about how the guy who was sitting beside had um a, like a Ziploc bag full of pancakes. <laughs> It was like offered to people. He's like, no, I'm good. He goes this whole thing about why did you bring pancakes into a flight? That, yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. All right. So uh, the next one here, this one might be surprising. May not be. Versus gravy. Versus gravy. gravy. I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad we're not getting uh, judged on these responses. Either. There is no point system here, right, dude? Nope. Uh, can, can you take a hand grenade on a on a plane? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Here comes the stinger. No, you're absolutely right. It was both no for uh, checked baggage and carry on. Which I'm like, who's taking a hand grenade on um, a flight? John like, McClane's wife. I, <laughs> I just thought it was so funny that it was in the list of things. I'm like, really? <laughs> we we need to clarify this one. That seems really weird. All right, how about the next one here? How about a lightsaber? Can you take the lightsaber on on uh, on a plane? Steve, did you take your lightsaber overseas to be signed by Mark Hamill? <laughs> I did not. Okay, um, I did take an action figure that I kept in my carry on. Did I have a lightsaber <laughs> though? It's like, listen, this is my one of seventeen best Ben Luke's. Can you please? Sign this one. <laughs> uh, an actual lightsaber, because those aren't real and functional. 
Yes. Well, you're right, and that's actually the real reason. It says here, yes, from the this is from the TSA website. Sadly, the technology currently does not exist to create a real lightsaber. Right, a, to create a real lightsaber, <laughs> however, you can pack a toy lightsaber in your carry-on or check bag. May the force be with you. Get the hell out of here! They even put that on there too. <laughs> yeah, oh they, they know their audience. It's fine. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, how about this? Can you take a live lobster on the plane? I'm going to say no, because it's not deemed a uh, a service animal. Mr. Pitchy, no! Just in general, you can't take it. Like I'm just, I'm just putting that there. It says a live lobster is allowed through security and must be transported in a clear plastic spill-proof container. (laughs) (laughs) What if you want to eat it halfway through your flight? (laughs) Alive, too. (laughs) TSA officer will visually inspect your lobster at the checkpoints. This might be one of my favorite (laughs) games in a long time. In, in this, in, in our series here, yes. I'm gonna give my wife credit for this because I was like, I was like, oh, can you look and see if there's anything I need to know about, you know, travel. <laughs> <laughs> no, tell, tell like, Kathy oh this has been highly entertaining. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we've, we've got like seven more to go. Seven more. <laughs> <laughs> this game isn't gonna go long. We're here forever. Please, yes. Oh, we're getting through them pretty quick, yes. but uh, this next one here, <laughs> and again, this may be surprising to you, maybe not. Hmm. Parachutes. Can you take this on a plane? Um, uh, like a commercial flight? No, that's what I'm gonna say. As a carry-on, what, no. As a stored, it says yes for both. It says you may transport oh. parachutes either with or without automatic activation devices in carry-on or check bags. But, Here's the thing. If I get on a plane with you, and the thing that you brought with you as your carry-on is a freaking parachute, I'm immediately panicking. He's like, seen Nightmare at 20,000 feet too many yeah, times. But what if it was an inflatable raft that we could uh, jump all out of <laughs> and land on a snow-laden mountain? I don't know that we've discussed this on the show, but I'm not great at flying. So much so that I make sure that I visit my doctor before I get on a plane to be like, something. So no, no, no. You've told me, you've told me repeatedly that you're not great flying. So, like, I yeah. get it. Like, yeah, I, I, I go see my doctor. He makes me a nice prescription. And actually, I fell asleep on the way to Texas, which is rare. So, like, for me to fall asleep on a, a plane either means I take took too much. Was or there I'm was there a wing walker with like like six shooters? It was like. How do y'all pew, 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 out in the way? You're like, I'm going to fall asleep now. We're like, that'd be amazing. I don't know what made me fall asleep, but I was glad that I did. Okay. Uh, and there was no alcohol involved, which is rare as well. Fair enough. All right. So, uh, next one here. I've never heard of this, uh, but do either of you know what recreational oxygen is? Um, I feel like that's a, like a canister that you just like bring. There's oxygen bars. I've seen them in Vegas. Yes, I we all right. So I used to work at Spencer's Gifts back in the day, and we had rec- recreational oxygen as well, and bongs and dicks. 
We d- we <laughs> what? We didn't sell dicks or bongs. Oh, come on. Just as come a heads on. up. Come on. Come on. You sold marital aids and bongs. <laughs> marital <and spices>. aids. <laughs> we did not sell bongs. <laughs> We did not sell. We sell Everything, we did, everything's a bong, and uh, we did not. We sold. We sold fake dicks, not oh, dicks. Oh, oh. Now, now you come clean with the fake dicks. Okay, I get it. Okay. Right. I'm gonna say no, D- no. It's it's not allowed either way. <laughs> non medically required flavored or canned oxygen containers are prohibited i don't know what flavored oxygen is but i'd say that you can't because it's a pressurized container you cannot bring it on a flight yeah so yeah to kind of give you a heads up for a minute there at at least at certain shops you were able to to buy oxygen that was flavored and we sold it and it was called like the ox (laughs) and it had a little ox on it too we had energy drinks and then that shit and i was like i don't get it who's buying this stuff but, you know, it was a thing. And I think it really was just like huffing. <laughs> That's all it really was. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, do well, what's the what's the kids do when they uh, turn a, the can upside down of a cool whip? Uh, oh, whippets. 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 Yeah, 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 I think it was yeah. kind of like the legal whippets. Uh, all right. That's fair. I just ne- I'd never heard of rec- recreational oxygen before this. So it's like, wow. well, let's go to Vegas. You'll find some <laughs> oxygen bars there. It's fine. <laughs> so this next one, you guys should both have a very quick answer on. Uh, how about a rocket launcher? Can you take that on a plane? If you if it's you stow it away, yeah, I think it's fine. I'm gonna go with no on both. <laughs> That's correct. You cannot take it as either a checked Bullshit. item or <laughs> as carry on. It's way more like less volatile than oxygen. What about rocket pops? Can you take those? I, <laughs> what about what about pop rocks? Is that allowed on an airplane? I don't even know how say, to. How I this wish all I could works. say that I made some of these up. These are actually from the TSA website, so God. like none of these. So what you're saying are, is people are idiots. Yes. <laughs> so we got four more to go here. Next one here, Paul. This is for you. Throwing stars. Can you take those on a plane or not? You no, you can't. They're not a carry on, but you can put them in the stowaway. I'm I'm impressed here. You can check baggage. You can take your throwing stars, but a carry on, no. So I mean, if you're an American ninja, you got to make the the American ninja. uh, It's the it's the Franco Nero. Like I got I got my ninja stars and my dubbed Texas accent. I have to check them. (laughs) Pretty much, yes. If you're Michael Dudikoff, uh, terms may change. But, uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't talk much. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about this next one here? Can you guys, can you take a uh, tortilla press on a plane? <laughs> <laughs> you're making this shit up now, dude. Come on. No. Stop. No, no, no. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. But George Foreman girls are allowed on planes. It's a panini press. That's it. Yeah, I just I like the idea that there's branding that because they paid for branding, you can't bring other sandwich presses or sandwich sandwich adjacent presses on there. Oh my god! It's so weird, but it just said yes to both. I don't know who's bringing tortilla press onto the airplane or why they would need a a tortilla press. yeah, uh, apparently know. you can bring it on as Ke- both. Ke- you're making quesadillas? Like, I would, why, why can't you make the margaritas with the quesadillas? No, then? but my point is, is like, if you could, <laughs> if you could just make... I would be welcome to a quesadilla on a flight. 
Hey, yeah. yeah I'd be like, look at this son of a bitch over here. He's got the whole thing going. Like, yeah. I mean, the flight that I was on, we didn't even have like the option for other like snacks and things like that. It was like, would you like a drink and possibly a small bag of pretzels? Because that's all you're getting. You're not getting yeah. anything else. So can, so. I, can I do a brief sidebar? Whenever Mary and I were flying out to Vegas for our wedding, they found out and they gave us a bottle of champagne, which was nice. But they made me a crown of <laughs> airline peanuts yep. and like the swords. And it was like one of those things where it was like loose. It was sliding down my head. And I had to take it was one of those things where I'm like, hey, I guess I got to wear this now. And the moment we got out of the plane at the Henderson was at the airport there in Vegas. I took that goddamn thing and just threw it away. I'm like, I have no interest in this crown of peanuts. But it was like they had to, they had to shower me in a crown of peanuts. That was weird to me. And Please tell me that you have a photo of you wearing this. Please tell me Mary took a photo. Nope. And I just like yeah, oh, son not, of a no, bitch. Nope. Nope. Oh my god. I I hope Steve, if you need me, if you need a photo of me with some nuts around my head, we'll figure it out. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is definitely on the downward spiral. Uh, yeah, we're almost done. We're almost done. It's fine. Yeah, we've only got two more to go. Two so. more. Okay, fine. All right. All right. So this next one here is toys, parentheses, adult. So I'll let you just decide what that means. But are they allowed on the plane? Yes, they are. They're allowed in the carry-ons and the stowaway. You're correct, and I always go back to that why do scene. I, why am I so confident with that statement? I don't, I don't know, but I always go back to that scene in Fight Club <laughs> where uh, his All baggage. All the dildos where it's like, it may be a dildo. It's probably a dildo. And he's like, yeah, usually modern time bombs don't tick. They vibrate. <laughs> Most of the time, it's a razor. Sometimes it's a dildo. I don't know enough. Yeah, it's <laughs> no, I just figure because it's like, you know, people got to have their needs at once. And like, I'm sure, sure when it goes through the x-ray, they're like, oh, that's a dick. You know, whatever. So. <laughs> All right. This, this last one here. How about a vacuum robot? And it, it's not specific to a brand. It's just this vacuum robot. So I'm going to say like a Roomba. Or, you take or that Rosie from the Jetsons. Yes, can can Rosie from the Jetsons fly on a plane? I'm going to say a vacuum robot cannot. I'm going to say weird is. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say that it 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 is allowed, but only in the packed area. Like not, you can't carry it on. It said yes for both, which I'm like, who's taking a Roomba as their carry on the plane? Who's asking these questions? That's what I want to (laughs) know. I I will say, like, one of the the like big pains in the ass of the the trip that i took was is that like work was like okay here's a laptop a work laptop work laptop here's also an ipad because you may need to load it out to you uh our customers um so you have to take both of these as your carry-on i'm like okay i don't want it to get lost in baggage i get that but i was also like well what if i want to like read something so it's like i have a kindle that i bought like two or three years ago that i, I read comics on so i'm like well i want to take that on the plane and it was such a pain in the ass because, like, you can't stack them if you're going through the x-ray for security check. You have to literally, like, put, like, the laptop by itself, the iPad that they gave me. It was, like, four of those, like, trays that you put through the x-ray machine where I'm like, 
wow, this is way worse than I thought it would be. And next time I'm not bringing my Kindle because this is horrible. You look like Meanwhile, I'm also holding onto my pants because I'm taking my belt off. Yeah, the belt thing. The belt thing. It's just always like, well, I guess you're looking at my ass right now because I'm just waiting for my belt to come through (laughs) the x-ray tray. Um, No, years ago, before before 9-11, I um, was flying out of uh, Denver. Not Denver. um, Salt Lake City. I'm sorry. I think we, maybe we went to Denver. Anyway, anyway, they ran my backpack through the x-ray, and I had a, a mini-disc player that no one remembers anymore and a microphone and cord connected to it. So when you see the x-ray, you see a box with, like, a curled-up wire plugged into it. They're like, what's that? I was like, it's a microphone and a mini-disc player. They're like, oh, okay. And they didn't even question it. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, different times now. <laughs> it was like, like I, like it's almost if I would have wrote the words TNT on the mini player. They'd be like, "Ah, oh, it's fine, whatever. It's fine." Like they didn't even bother even thinking twice about like, "Oh, you have a news gathering device." I'm like, "I do." They're like, "Enjoy your flight." <laughs> well, that's the end of our games, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I thought it was ridiculously fun. Yes. Uh, no, it was a lot of fun. Thank you, Steve, for making that. Um, Terry, thank you for coming on the show. Um, I know you've been doing double duty this week. I appreciate that. Um, yes, you- thank you, Terry, for coming on, classing up the joy. We really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for the extra time. I know as we're recording this, it's almost 1130 at night. I know you got to drive <laughs> home. So thank uh, you. Yeah, right. So if you just pass through security on the way out, that'd be great. Um, well, thank you guys. And, uh, because now I know. Apologize to your wife for us for getting you home so late. Oh uh, no, nah, she, she she'll be fine. Uh, she she needs some time away from me too. So <laughs> <laughs> you're just doing her a favor. Yeah. But no, I uh, thank you guys for letting me know what I can and cannot take on a plane now. So like you know, I was really concerned about the Roomba and rocket launcher. So <laughs> at least I know now. Uh, but no, I, I really enjoy coming on here. Um, you know, it's been a minute since I've been able to. But uh, anytime you guys want me to come back. Uh, I, I love I love this podcast. I've been listening to you guys from the beginning, so I really appreciate yeah. it. And uh, I think you guys are doing a great job here. Yeah, I'm just going to throw this out here, Steve. We have eight episodes, eight or not, eight or seven episodes of the Twilight Zone left of the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Well, it's like maybe have you on again because you were on a couple times for Strange Highways. I was highways. only on once, oddly enough. Yeah. Uh, what a- I wrote in to give you comments where I was like, hey uh, – how about you reconsider? Uh, I shot an arrow. No, in the no, air. no, no, no. But you were like, on for no. no nice place to visit. That was better talk than you're being wrong about. I shot an arrow in the air. Oh. Hey, what if we do a revisit of the Mighty Casey? Would you come on for that? Oh God, no. <laughs> anyway, we have like eight episodes to go for season five. We'll figure out the one. That'd be that'd be a lot of fun to have you on. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know uh, what your plans are after that, but absolutely, I'll be happy to come on no matter what it is. I I will say that, I, I and this is probably best left off air, but what the hell, it's the end of the show. I did notice that somebody had suggested something for another podcast that I had suggested to the show two years ago that might involve uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy. But I'm going to leave it was there. That, was that the I'll episode you that you suggested for Phrase Nightmares to, to do something with? Well, now you've just put it out there. Okay. Yes. Okay, great. We'll confirm it. We'll, we'll book it for Strange Highways. It's fine. No, you're doing it for another episode with another podcast, which is fine. Yeah, no, 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 no. I was we'll just figure. like, oh, blah, 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 I was blah, blah, here first. Blah, 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 blah. We'll figure it out. Like you, you were cool before it was cool. I get it. It's fine. So next week, we're going to end Pale Boy Summer. 
our four week adventure into uh, vampires. Like I, we've been doing some seventies pale boy summer with some dogs, um, some, some new England stuff. And now some Pittsburgh stuff. We're going to boldly march into the eighties, um, with the film near dark, which myself and Steve have never seen. Terry is starring the, uh, you know, director of the fabulous film frailty, which we'll discuss at another later point. Star. Yeah. Yeah. No, but Catherine Bigelow has actually directed the film, but we'll get to that later next week, but I've never seen near dark. Dude. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. It's a wonderful film. Uh, I love it to death. It's one that I came on to like really late uh, you know, in my uh, Me too. viewing no, because of my hat watching. Oh my God, it's you guys are going to have a trip. That's yeah. It's going around our Pale Boy Summer. We're going to watch Near Dark. It's available on Shutter right now. If you guys have that, um, if not, just rip message Steve. He'll give you his login info, whatever. But we're going to watch Near Dark. Um, that's going to be. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've enjoyed this uh, brief uh, aside into vampires and shit. It's been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that's what we're doing next week. Uh, yeah, so that's going to do it for this week. Have a good week. Have a safe week. Uh, in the meantime, um, I don't know. Don't go drugging ladies and uh, cutting them and then drinking their blood. That seems like a safe call. And support local filmmakers. <laughs>